You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you tri freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and self-improvement using a little bit of zen along the way. All right, we have an extra, extra special interview today. We have Diane Bergeron, and I was so excited when I got her email a few weeks ago that I wanted to set up this interview as fast as possible. She started doing triathlons when she was 47 years old and in less than about five years four or five years she completed her first ever Ironman and it was an extremely difficult Ironman it was one of the harder courses hardest courses and that's a very uh, mature age to be starting out doing all this uh, with almost no background I think she had a little bit of swimming background But on top of all that, she is completely blind. And when you think about what it takes to to do that at 47, starting out, this is the exact reason why I do this show, is to show you what is possible and how somebody can get it done. The biggest thing is not skill, it's not being young and it's not having everything lined up in your favor it's about how bad do you want it and when you want it bad enough you can get not only Ironman done you can get triathlons done you can get anything done in life so I'm super excited to have her on the show I can barely stand it (laughs) but we got to get a few things out of the way first let's real quick cover the triathlon news here we go All right, we had Ironman 70.3 Worlds in Chattanooga, Tennessee. My family's actually from right around that area. So I'm really really amped to do that race someday. Uh, I don't know if I'll get into Worlds, but into... I almost made Worlds. I missed it by a couple of slots a while back. But the uh, just the Chattanooga race, because it's so pretty out there. And it's uh, just such a wonderful place. But first place men was Javier Gomez but the men's race was on Sunday and the women's race was on Saturday to have a completely separate race and it worked out really well if you watch the men's coverage they uh, say um, that the women really presented a an incredible race on Saturday and women like this because uh, they get tangled up with the elite males on on Saturdays. Uh, a lot of if if they all race together, a lot of the elite male age groupers will catch up to the women pros, and then uh, women pros that are not strong cyclists uh, benefit from having those men mixed in with them, and they're able not illegally draft, but kind of ride with that pack 
up there. And so the, the women that aren't that strong of a cyclist, the women that are strong cyclists don't like it that the women that aren't strong cyclists are getting that benefit. And then also uh, with all those extra people on the course, the men mixed in with the pro women, they don't like um, the women can do can and do get drafting penalties uh, because they're in between these men and, and they're like, we don't want these men here. <laughs> and so can we get a little bit more of a gap? And so they've been doing this thing with more and more of a gap. And then finally, somebody put two and two together and said, if we put on two races, we get double the coverage, right? You get the Ironman brand out there twice as much. So why don't we do that? So think about it. This might happen at Kona someday. So this is... Uh, actually pretty significant that they did this for 70.3 which is the half Ironman world championship but anyway uh, Javier Gomez won first and he's from Spain and that wasn't a big surprise he's really good and the interesting parts about the women's race I've been watching the first part of the women's race they've done the swim and they're up on the bike and doing the first giant climb after uh, biking a few miles uh, that's where I am watching the video. I'm watching it on my own trainer. Um, the first thing is Lauren Brandon, who is the swimming phenomenon that actually I had as an interview on Zentry earlier this year, I think. It's just a few episodes ago. You can go check that out. The commentate, the commentary of the three uh, commentators watching from the table, watching the video footage of her swimming is really something to pick up on. Her swim form is beautiful, man. It is just so sleek and it looks effortless. I know it's not, but she said so. <laughs> she said she is trying, but it's just so um, graceful, like swimming through the water. And it really goes to show that 99% of swimming fast is technique. Because it's all, this is all technique and it looks, what looks fast is fast. And then also on top of that, if you watch during the video closely, uh, she does it at least twice. The first time she does it, the uh, commentators are blown away by it. She, she's swimming freestyle and she's in the lead, obviously. She rolls over on her back and starts doing backstroke for a couple of strokes to look behind her to see where everybody is. And... She does it so smoothly that you can barely tell that she's doing it. Uh, you can tell because she's kind of looking down towards her feet to look back behind her. But the difference is so uh, small between her freestyle and her backstroke. It's like the same speed. It's just amazing. So watch the video and look for Lauren Brandon doing that. And she does it at least twice that I catch. And, you know, I'm watching that swim and me coming from a swimming background... My theory on what she's doing is she was trying and successfully going just fast enough in the swim to create a tiny gap between her and the people behind her and not letting people right behind her draft off of her. And what that does is uh, she's only going just fast enough, right, to to use her swim as an advantage but also, or just, just slow enough to be winning, right? But also just fast enough to create a little bit of gap so that the people uh, trying to draft off of her can't. 
she's purposefully keeping like three body links between her and the per- the people right behind her and making the people that are trying to draft off of her freaking work, work their asses off to try to keep up with her. And it's, that's, what's really cool. Okay. So then, um, Holly Lawrence is a, uh, superstar, uh, triathlete. She's from Wales and, uh, she's, been winning everything a lot lately and uh, for a couple years now and she dropped out partway through the bike which was is really interesting and that was actually in the news and I'm trying to remember who won oh Danielle Reef won the whole thing (laughs) of course but uh, watch that video these are on YouTube you just search for Ironman World 70.3 Chattanooga 2017 and what men's and women's, and they're like four hours each of video for the trainer. And it's really great stuff. Okay, speaking of the trainer, I got my um, first ever smart trainer in the mail. The Dorito is what we call it, the D-I-R-E-T-O, made by Elite, and Elite makes tons of trainers. And the reason I bought it is DC Rainmaker, uh, who does reviews on all kinds of cycling and triathlon equipment, all the all the techie gadgety stuff said that finally somebody's got it nailed. This one, it, it's compatible with all the different protocols. So Ant, Bluetooth, Ant FEC, which is a controller compatible. So it goes both ways. You can talk to it. It can talk to your device. And then also, same thing with Bluetooth. And there, it's very agnostic in protocols. So like the Wahoo software on your phone, if you use a Wahoo trainer, uh, will only control a Wahoo trainer. I tried it, and it will not control another one. But um, the uh, the Elite uh, Doretto, Dorito uh, will uh, allow itself to work with and be controlled by uh, all kinds of different software. It's open protocol, and it's very accurate. Needs very almost no calibration ever and it just goes on and on it's like super awesome uh it's from italy and i'm struggling i got a whole nother episode i'm going to do probably next episode about how to use a smart trainer and how to use how to set up this smart trainer in particular because this one is selling like pancakes and is that a thing selling like uh hot cakes i guess anyway it's moving really fast and i'm all already Unfortunately, I had to become an expert in some of the quirks. They're, they're few. I've come across like maybe five or six so far, but they're very important. And I'm going to make the next episode about it. But let me tell you about my first uh, workout was Zwift, right? Which is the video game. It uh, totally worked. It was <laughs> really cool to be pedaling along and then you start going uphill and it starts cranking down on you and you're like whoa holy cow and that's an adjustable and my next show I'll tell you where to do that how much it cranks down on you is actually an adjustable slider in Zwift and then last night I did um, this workout that I'm creating I did it on trainer road while watching these uh, these 70.3 championship videos uh, 30 minutes warm up and then 30 minutes at a very specific wattage. And the reason why it was, uh, I had 30 minutes, just easy pedaling around, whatever. And then 30 minutes at 254 Watts, right? Now, the reason I'm doing that is it's a lot like my swim technique, which really works, which Lauren Brandon uses by the way. And then 
uh, the, the technique is marginal gains. That's also Sky Cycling, which is Chris Froome's team. Little things, little things, little imperceptible things add up. 30 minutes easy, and then 30 minutes at exactly 254 watts, which you can do with a smart trainer. Well, some of them. And a piece of software, which I'll get into in the next episode. And then you do a workout or two at that until you feel like you got it under control. And then you do 30 minutes easy for your, your next workout. 30 minutes easy, 255 watts. One watt. One watt higher. Right? Now, figuring out where you start off in your watts is a little bit of a, of a skill. But it's doable. One watt higher. And these... It's like going to the gym. You get good at benching, I don't know, 200 pounds, I guess. And then you get good at benching 200 pounds. You add a two-pound plate, right? These, these, little, these little plates, the little plates. You add little plates on the side. Then you do that as your workout. Then when you get used to that, you add a little bit more weight. You get used to that after a couple of workouts, you add a little bit more weight, Right? So with a smart trainer, you can actually do this. And people rarely do it with, um, with uh, cycling. But I have a very, um, a very amateur, but uh, uh, I want to say like not expert, <laughs> but uh, ed- educated and successful history a long time ago with weightlifting. And I always love to apply weightlifting analogies to uh, cycling and running because it works. It really, really works. And it works for swimming too. And so my, uh, my goal with the Smart Trainer is to do that. So that's going to be in future episodes, but I'm very excited. I got the, the Doretto, Doretto in and that'll be uh, next episodes. Okay, then the next thing is Apple had their giant... Uh, I don't even know what you'd call it. Uh, 2017 announcement of, announcement of all their mobile stuff and iOS 11 and da 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 all that all that stuff. But it was the phones and don't forget the watch. The watch was pretty significant. The the consensus is on the watch. The watch is definitely better. It's still if you're a dedicated athlete, endurance athlete, the watch still in there. Uh, Garmin and Sunto and Polar do a better job. Uh, but what the watch does do that is pretty cool is it it can tell from the accelerometers inside if you're sleeping or not, and then it calculates your resting heart rate, which is really nice. And then also it can alert you if you're not doing much, but your heart rate starts jumping out of control, which is an erratic arrhythmia is what it's called, which a lot of people have, and that is really, really nice. And they, uh, they improved the uh, swimming metric in there so that's uh good stuff and that's oh they have one now that has this this is important they have the watch with um a cell phone uh sim card in it now so you have to pay extra not only for the watch not only for the watch but also for the uh i'm sure the connection so that you can um have basically it turns your watch into a phone now your watch is a tiny little phone and it's got a speaker and a microphone built into it and in the demo, they showed a lady uh, paddleboarding on Lake Tahoe. I was like, I recognized it instantly. I stared at that coastline for hours trying to swim to it. And the uh, cool thing is, is let's say you go out for a run or a bike ride and you get in trouble. 
right? I need help. I'm lost. Uh, or there's like Emily had the other guy the other day. Some guy is creeping behind me in his car. <laughs> and I think he's stalking me. Hey, uh, can you come get me? Right? It's right there. Like you can call on your phone. And then the other thing about it, uh, what was the other thing about the watch? Okay, I'll get back to the watch because I know there was something else that was uh, really significant. Oh, and on cue, as I you know start recording my podcast, somebody fires up a weed eater over there. That's the number one rule of podcasting. As soon as you turn on the mic, oh, if you need, if you ever need a weed eater, right? You need to do some yard work and you need a weed eater. Uh, Start recording on your on your phone to publish something as a as a podcast, and then a weed eater will appear, and somebody will be wielding it all over the place. Let's see. Well, what's the other thing about the watch? I can't remember. Okay, well, let's go on to the phone because the phone is you know big big deal. Uh, waterproof, which they had since last generation. Uh, wireless charging, which other phones have had. Uh, and then, well, the big thing about Apple is the ecosystem. You know, when you when Trainer Road first came out, which is good training software, Apple only. Like so much stuff is Apple only first. And uh, I'm not an Apple fanboy by any means. I hate Apple sometimes, but the uh, stuff just works. And the ecosystem of the apps is actually uh, really important. And you can. Uh, Oh, I remember what it was about the watch now. Uh, it streams music. Because you have a wireless connection, cellular connection, you can stream music and then your AirPods, your earphones, can connect to the, uh, to the watch wirelessly. In fact, I think you'd have to use wireless watch, uh, wireless headphones. It doesn't have a headphone jack on it. And, but the AirPods are spectacular. I love mine. They're absolutely the best. A total game changer in wireless headphones. And the, because uh, they're water, they're water, really water resistant. They're really amazing. So it's good. They're good for running and biking and stuff. But anyway, the, uh, you can listen to the music that you want and maybe podcasts, I think. So you can just throw on your watch. You probably already have it on and then go out for a run. And then you don't need to carry your phone with you anymore. Uh, I guess the one thing I would still carry my phone because I like taking my camera with me and taking pictures of snakes and, and, uh, crazy things and sunsets while I run. That's part of the reason I get out there. The reasons we do triathlon is to get out there and see the sights, take pictures of the of the trails and stuff. So I'd probably still take my phone. Uh, but then there's the iPhone X and I've been on the uh, I've been on the edge of buying a phone for a couple of years because I wasn't happy with uh, the tiny improvements. And I kept waiting for an iPhone that's waterproof, which they've actually had a uh, generation now for sure, but that isn't huge, um, which the 8, the smaller version of the 8 is not too huge. I think it'll fit in my running belt pouch. Pretty sure I need to retake some measurements. And then they came out with um, this iPhone X, right? And... Um, it doesn't do anything that any other uh, phones... Let me close this window and open the other window over here. It doesn't do anything that uh, other phones don't do. Ooh, feel that breeze. Oh, that's way better. Um, like Samsung, a lot of Samsung phones have better screens. They have... Uh, they have... They've had wireless charging for years. You know, they've been waterproof for years. 
Um, but it's the ecosystem. And for example, uh, the recording software I use on this phone, um, I've only found that it, one that really works well on the uh, in the Apple iStore, the Apple Store, and it's where I can append one recording, a new recording to the same old recording, which is great for the training log, right? And that way, it's all one file. So when I download it, it's all in one place. Um, the thing is, is the phone is like stupid expensive. But then you're talking two years, I would use it for. And then what's the monthly cost? The monthly cost is really not all that much. So I'm starting to talk myself into uh, the iPhone X. Um, and especially because I've been dealing with a crappy phone actually for... My phone's barely been functional for quite a while. So I'm kind of that, that thing where, where you feel like you kind of deserve it you know, <laughs> and you know, you're going to use it. And I don't know, I'm kind of on the, I'm, I love the, uh, galaxy note, the Samsung, uh, note eight, but it's just too big. And, but I love everything about it. Absolutely. Everything about it is fantastic. Absolutely. Love that thing. All right. Let's see. Before we get started with the interview, we've already done the news. Let's do the, uh, bike of the week brought to us by Velo Assurance. And our bike of the week is the Argon 18. That's the brand name, Argon 18. And then the model number is the 119. I think it's a Tri Plus. Let me see. I got it right here. When I first saw this bike, I fell in love with it. It's been out about a year. And yeah, it's the uh, Argon 18. And then it's the E-119 is the model, Tri Plus. And plus is the little plus sign. And it's a classic uh, double, double diamond uh, triangle uh, frame, but it's a super bike. So the front end's all integrated and the further you go towards the front, the more aerodynamic you want your bike to be because it's like swimming. The most important swimming is drag, res drag reduction. And on the bike, the most imp important part to have drag reduction is at the front. So the front is super sleek, super integrated, super nice. And one of the huge standout features of this bike is the brakes. So it's got, it doesn't have disc brakes. It has classic uh, caliper brakes, but the way they're built, they have little shrouds over them. So they're hidden from the wind, but the shrouds pop off. I think it's got a little screw. You can pop them off and then you can work on the brakes easily. And on so many, almost all the super bikes, the rear brake is under the bottom bracket down by the crank, right? Where you have to turn your bike upside down. All your fluid spills out and then you get fire ants all over you and then you're jumping up and down and then you're uh, recording the podcast and talking about your own personal experiences with stuff. But lay your bike on its side at least and everything falls off of it, whatever. This, you can work on the rear brake without having to turn the bike upside down. It's actually really cool. Everybody ought to go check this out. This is so smart, man. It's Aside from disc brakes, this is the smartest place to uh, put your brake. It's really cool. I love it. 
And I, and I know this because the Trek Speed Concept, both of my, my BMC before that, both had the brakes on the underside and they are a pain to work on. And down there they collect all kinds of grime and they get sticky icky. And then, what is the other cool thing that's a standout? Oh, uh, the storage system. It doesn't have a, um, a draft box like the, it does, but unlike the Speed Concept and the Quintana Roo and all these other bikes, its draft box is literally like a lunchbox that mounts behind the saddle. And along with that, it has bottle holders to hold your water bottles, kind of like in front of the draft box a little bit. The setup is super smart because that is the most aero place to put stuff. It makes you faster if you put stuff there. And that is where they put it. And that is super, super smart. So I saw this bike and I was like, all right, this is great. And then the other thing is behind the stem is it, it's sleek and it, it, uh, contours right into the bento box, a nice big bento box to keep your gels in or whatever you got, your little snackage, uh, right there by, by, uh, on the top tube is all shrouded and it's nice and it's sleek and it's integrated uh, it's not lumpy. It folds in perfectly behind the stem and the stem's all integrated too, by the way. It's just like, it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And then it comes with a, um, between the, uh, arms, uh, water bottle, you know, system, your hydration system, which is honestly, the layout is perfect. I love it that the down tube, if you look, the Trek, the Trek Speed Concept down tube, it comes up from the bottom bracket, and then as it hits the stem, it's just like the straight line, and it looks kind of awkward. It's like got a little bit of a gap. Uh, my old BMC didn't have that. The uh, down tube contoured behind the front wheel to make it more aero and make it look sleeker, and the Argon also does that. And on top of that, well, first, uh, another thing is that Argon 18 is a really good bike brand, and... Um, they've got really big name, uh, pros riding them. And the, uh, final thing, some may say it's the most important thing, kind of depends. It is beautiful. Like the color scheme is the colors in cycling that you want to have. It's black and white and a touch of, uh, matte, uh, that's kind of glossy matte. Anyway, uh, <laughs> glossy matte, uh, and red. It is just stunning. This bike is absolutely stunning. So when this bike came out, I wanted this bike so bad. I wanted this one way more than my Trexby Concept because I could do some damage with this bike. I absolutely love it. But at the time when it came out and I had gotten approval from Emily to get a new bike and I needed a new bike, actually. I was in the market for a new bike. Um, it, they didn't have a size that was big enough for somebody my height. So if you're around 6'2", six, 6'3", six, and you want to get stretched out on this and you have long arms, then make sure you check the... Oh, we got somebody firing up a car. Let me... Well, I guess we're going to get to hear it. Make sure you check the, um, the sizing and make sure you can fit into it. they got a good sizing chart and all that stuff. Oh, all the sizing charts I went through looking for a new bike. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. Okay. I think that's it. Uh, let's say something about Velo Assurance. 
Velosurance is a bike insurance company, and they only insure bikes. And it's a bike insurance company that is staffed by cyclists, created by cyclists. You can email Dave at Velosurance.com and talk to him about insurance. You can probably talk to him about biking. What's <laughs> What kind of bike does he have? Where does he like to go ride? Okay, if you're a triathlete, you probably have invested a lot of money into your bike. You have a fancy bike. Your bike could cost more than your first car. Mine does. It costs twice as much as my first car. You had to have insurance on that, right? Well, you can. the same things that happen to you in a car can happen to you with your bike. It can get stolen. You can have a wreck. You can get injured. Uh, it can get smashed. Uh, you could get... Uh, your car cannot get lost in the luggage airport, I guess. But anyway, Velosurance covers all this stuff. And a lot of insurance companies, you tell them that you uh, banged up your bike racing. They're like, well, that's your fault, you dummy. This is made for racing. It's absolutely like the thing to do if you really care about your bike. And also a lot of homeowners insurance. You think it's going to cover your bike, but once your bike leaves your house... It's a totally different thing. You know, they're, they're going to say, what, you rode your bike on the road? <laughs> we can't cover that. But uh, let's see. The other thing is uh, 47 states and Washington, D.C. is what they cover. Oh, Kai, uh, he's growing out of his bike, and uh, we're, getting, um, a, uh, we're getting him a new race bike pretty soon. We don't have it yet. But it's not going to be a really expensive one. But we're going to put it in, like, the family coverage of all of our bikes and then when we travel to our race uh we're going to do a race um in coming up really soon in just a couple weekends or so we're going to travel a few hours and we're going to have bikes on the back what if somebody rear ends us and smashes all these bikes you know is our car insurance going to cover it are they going to cover your bikes for what it's really worth when you talk to your car insurance company and you say you've got an argon 18 119 tri plus and it costs five grand and then your wheels are another grand each they're gonna your insurance company adjuster is gonna say they're you're insane i've seen it happen where they go oh i found a comparable bike and they find one that's like two hundred dollars that will give you two hundred dollars like no these that's not the same thing but they don't understand that but velosurance does because they're run by cyclists like i said so again check out velosurance Email Dave at VeloSurance.com. Get yourself a quote. Maybe talk to him about his bike. See what he rides. He'd probably like that. And you also get a discount. 10% credit. Uh, if you are a USAT or a USAC member. How about that? All right. So that is it for our first sponsor of the show. Let's go ahead and move on over to Diane Bergeron and talk about how she became an Ironman. A real Iron Man after starting at age 47 and also completely blind. I'm blown away by this episode. I want you to check it out. It's got to be one of my favorite episodes of all time. Here we go. Welcome to the next level. Hello, Diane. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me okay? How are you? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm running into my room as you're talking because I just set my dinner. Hang on, I'm going to put a headset on. Okay. It's going to make me look like some kind of freak. 
Yeah. Oh, I was just doing audio. You want to do video? No, it's audio. That's fine. Okay. There. How's that? Is that better? Oh, that sounds great. There you go. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? You want to go ahead and start recording right from the beginning? Whatever you would like to do is fine with me. Yeah, people like the, the meta. <laughs> cool. So, I got this really cool email from Diane... Bergeron. Bergeron? Yeah. Right. And what part of Canada are you from? Ottawa. Ottawa. All right. And it had a, the sufficient amount of exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> I did that just for you, Brad. I know. I could tell. <laughs> to really get my attention. And yes. I... I um, I started uh, doing a little digging around and I mean, just in the email itself, I was, I was thinking, yes, this is definitely somebody that we ought to have on uh, for two reasons uh, to uh, just to tell your story. And then also uh, I think like you said, to let other people know that you can do triathlon uh, even if you're sight impaired or have, have other you know issues of some sort and everybody's got uh things that they're trying to overcome and for example the other the other one is you didn't even start triathlon until you were 47 yes that was my first triathlon at 47 right and and so there's there's a variety of things in here that are really interesting and so i was hoping that we could talk and get get down to it sure uh, tell me a little bit about your your story. What what happened to your vision? Were you born like that, or did something? Was there an accident or an illness or something? Uh, no, I was. Well, I was kind of born like this. It was. It's a. It's a degenerative condition. It's called retinitis pigmentosa. Uh huh. And there's not a spelling exam, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> um, so uh, it basically is a genetic condition that causes your retina to not replace the, the, the cells fast enough to keep your retina going. Okay. So um, I was five years old when they discovered that I couldn't see very well. Right. And then um, when I was 10, by the time I was 10, I was legally blind, which is basically 10% sight or less. Right. And so um, I, I grew up, um, I mean, every, you already know my age, I'm 52, so I'm not exactly young. Right. Um, I grew up in the era where integration into the school system had just started. And so I was lucky enough to be able to go through uh, regular school, but they hadn't yet figured out how to support people who right. are blind in a regular school system. So school was a challenge, but um, went through regular school. And by the time I was in my somewhere in my 30s, I lost complete light perception, shadow perception. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I have nothing now. I can't tell the difference between day or night or sunny or cloudy or anything. So at your age now, at 52, do you still remember mm -hmm. what what things look like or has that kind of faded as well? You know, it depends. I can't remember what I look like, which might <laughs> be a good thing by now. Um but yeah. you know, colors. I remember reds and blues. But if you say fuchsia, I know it. It somebody told me it is pink, but yeah. I don't. I couldn't exactly explain um, what that means. So it's right. you know basic stuff. I remember, but some of the details I don't. Yeah, that that reminds me. There's there's stories about how we didn't have words for certain colors until recently. I think orange. Um, 
But anyway, that's a whole other thing. But until people until people needed it, they didn't have it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's funny because yeah. my husband would say to me, I'd say, well, what color is that? And he says, well, I have to think about when you could see what that would be the equivalent to because now it's called sand brown or, you know, oh, like yeah. <laughs> country green or something. And I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. Is it green or is it brown? I don't know. Yeah, there's so many color choices now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So then, um, how did you get into triathlon? And also on your profile, it says something about that uh, you do do still do maybe uh, dragon boat racing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I I did. Um, so I was when I was young, when I was still able to. I was legally blind, but I was still able to see, you know, kind of the black line on the bottom of the pool. Uh-huh. Um, I got into swimming okay. and started um, swimming. I did synchronized swimming. I did um, swim t- at the diving team, and I was a spare on the um, the swim team, mm-hmm. the local swim team. I never made it to competition because I was I was a good swimmer, but because I couldn't see well enough, I could never compete at the right. same level. Right. And then kind of went on with my life, and it wasn't until um, probably about, I don't know, 46, close to 47, I decided that I was getting old and needed to get back into fitness and started walking on a treadmill just to get kind of started. And then at 47, somebody challenged me to a triathlon, and that's when I got deep into fitness. How do you how do you um, walk on a treadmill without seeing? You just hold on to the rail. Yeah, you have to hold the hand. I have a rail. I have rails, uh-huh. and I have a treadmill that has tactile buttons, which is a challenge nowadays. Right. Fine. <laughs> um, in fact, I went to a, a specialty tra- uh, treadmill shop. Right. And they had two out of about a hundred treadmills that had tactile buttons and would beep when you activated them, so I could tell I was, you know, activating the buttons. Oh. Huh. Um, and uh, so I started walking on the treadmill, and then a friend of mine, I was starting to get into that, and then I started getting into triathlon, and then a friend of mine said, hey, have you tried dragon boating? So I joined a visually impaired dragon boat team called mm. Dragon Sight, based out of Edmonton. I was living in Edmonton at the time. Right. And, um, and, and it was kind of fun because, um, one, we were, you know, there was a whole bunch of blind people trying to get fit together. <laughs> and... Um, Secondly, there wasn't a whole lot of blind dragon boat teams in Canada. There was only two of them. So uh, at nationals, uh, we we qualified for the world competition and ended up in Italy competing at the world level and got a gold medal in the 200 meters. And oh, it was funny. Wow. We, went, we went all the way to Italy to compete in the visually impaired category, and the only two teams was the team from Vancouver and the team from Edmonton, the same two teams that competed at nationals. Right. And I said we had to go all the way to Italy to compete against. Yeah, you could have done a team this at from home. our own country, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was fun. It was great. Um, I have since moved to Ottawa, mm-hmm. and um, have not done um, have not done the dragon boating. I mean, it's, it's certainly something I would do again just for fun. But uh, I really focused on endurance and distance triathlon. Right. Which, as you know, if you're doing distance, you know, if you're if you're training for endurance, training for a sprint, uh, dragon boat is completely different training. So I had to give one up. So I gave up dragon boating. Yeah, well, I I also noticed um, as we get older, going longer doing endurance stuff becomes a lot more attractive. Uh, 
I was on a long bike ride yesterday and it started off with, I don't know, 50 people or something like that. And then people yeah. kept turning off and, you know, even people that were leading that were sprinting yeah. out ahead, they kept turning around and turning off at intersections, you know, cause they were done or, or, you know, they were going to turn yeah. around cause they didn't have all that time. And then at the last turnaround, the final one, the final destination before you turn around and come back, I was the youngest person at age 44 and, and everybody yeah. else was like 55, 60 years old. <laughs> I thought yeah. no one said anything about it. It was just an observation that I made. I was like, man, us older people just like to go farther and have figured out that that's the joy is like going a little bit farther. Well, and, and I think the difference is, at least for me, and, and I've had conversations with um, some of my friends who do triathlon, mm -hmm. and they're all about getting across the finish line as fast as possible. And oh, yeah. You cross the finish line, you collapse. And if right. if you don't collapse, then you, you left it out on the course and you shouldn't have, right? Right, right. And, and I'm like, I want to get out on the course. I want to cheer people on. I want to... Mm -hmm you know, wave and say hi to people, high five them on the way by. Because the time isn't what I'm there for. I'm there to be fit and healthy and have fun and challenge myself. Uh, we're going we're, we're gonna to bring it up again in a minute, but um, you listed as a goal a uh, trail run, the death yeah. race. And the Canadian death race, yeah. yeah my, my experience with uh, trail running out in the woods, people go, why in the world would you do that, you know, out there for – all day, two days. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I said, are you kidding me, man? It's, it's a, you've paid for the excuse to be in the woods all day. It smells yeah. great. It's cool. And, um, there's other people that are like you out there and it's catered. Like they're, they're giving you food every few, every few miles. And it's like, yeah. you're, it's like you're a kid again and you can be out there in the woods all day long. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me more about, we're gonna get. We're gonna do the whole progression of these races that you got into, like uh, some half Ironmans and and Ironmans. And uh, how do you, how do you actually uh, swim, bike, and run um, in training, and then in racing? Okay, so training is is more difficult than racing mm -hmm. because, um, so a sighted person. A lot of sighted people like to go running because it, all they need is a pair of shoes. Right. And right. they go out and they can go. Um, as a blind person, to run outside, I need a sighted person to take me. Right. So it's hard to find people who want to just go out and run and guide you in that run for training. It's, it, I mean, it seems a lot easier to find people that are willing to race with you, mm -hmm. but training with you is a little difficult. So. Um, I have a treadmill. Um, I do get on the treadmill and run and do a lot of my training on the treadmill. Um, but I have um, some friends that I have met through. I put advertisement in local um, newsletters, community newsletters, triathlon clubs. And so I have a, a kind of five or six different people that, depending on the day and the timing and so on, we'll go out and run together. Right. Um, Cycling, you need to have someone who's really strong at the bike. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a tandem. I have a nice um, tandem. Her name is Black Beauty, <laughs> by the way. Um, and and so she, you know, we go out and ride as much as we can. But of course, it's hard to get out all the time. So at home, I have a bike on a trainer. Right. 
And because I can't use regular, like smart trainers aren't always accessible with um, uh, talking systems, right. I actually use a Wahoo Fitness um, system that I've attached to my trainer and attached to my iPhone, Bluetooth to my iPhone, so it gives me all the cadence and speed and distance and so on. And I took your advice. I have a I have an overbed table. Thank you very much for that piece of advice. Oh, I, I got that from Thomas Gerlach. A uh, a triathlete um, from the Wisconsin area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an overbed table for people that don't. That's cool that you're using this. This is neat. Um, you can buy a Wahoo desk for like six hundred dollars. <laughs> oh really? Yes, and it's I, got. I just I think I paid like eighty bucks or something on yeah. Amazon, and I get the desk, the 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 overbed table, and I set it up with all my stuff. And in fact, I I have decided that it's good for just. You know, some people use treadmill desks, so mm-hmm. I have mine set up as a bike desk. So I put my computer on there when I need to do computer work, and I just sit and pedal lightly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So people don't know this. Um, it's it's one of those de- – if you're ever in the hospital and they slide a table up next to you, there's um, it's missing a leg on one side. It's completely supported yeah. on, on the other side, and then so it pushes up next to you, and they're adjustable in height. Turns out it, the fact really that it's adjustable in height more than anything – is uh is and they're inexpensive so i ordered one (laughs) and when it showed up my wife is an rn she's a nurse yeah and she said do you know what that is right brett (laughs) (laughs) she said is there any bedpans coming to or what (laughs) do i need to know something are you falling apart and i said no i read this on slow twitch this is like the one of the smartest purchases a pro triathlete ever made is this desk it's so cheap and it and they're really overbuilt right so they're super strong that's funny that that uh that uh, you're using one too. So we recommend yeah, well, that, right? You, Thumbs up. You mentioned it. Yeah, you yeah. mentioned it on your show. And I was like, that is the coolest idea. So I ordered it. It showed up. My husband looked at me because, you know, God help us with, you know, online shopping. Suddenly, right. <laughs> suddenly retail therapy gives a whole new meaning, right? Right. And so I got this thing and he looked at me and goes, what is that for? And I said, well, honey, it's got multi-purposes. <laughs> it is good for when I'm working. It keeps me fit. I can set it up so that when I'm actually working, training hard, I can uh-huh. put my my stuff on it. You know, all my nutrition and stuff when I'm doing a long training ride. Exactly. And on weekends, you can bring me breakfast in bed. <laughs> right. And it, of course, his answer was, "Yeah, well, two out of three ain't bad." Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I never did get breakfast in bed. Yeah. Well, what about um? Okay, so is that all the bike setup, or you have you have more tips? Yeah, right? no, that's 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 my bike setup. It works. So, so the one thing I did want to say, one of the things that blind people have a hard time doing is mm-hmm. getting to transportation is huge, right? Yep. We, we right. really have to. So, I actually do Skype classes over Skype. Okay. So um, we have a we have a coach that um, has his camp. We all set up our cameras, we set up our our bikes, and we do spin class, and he watches all of us and through the camera and gives us advice on technique and uh, our form and usually says to me that I don't look like I have enough paint on my face and so uh, I should add a gear, um, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. And yeah. it's fantastic because uh, even if I'm traveling, if I can get somewhere where I can get to a bike, I can set up my Skype and I can follow the class no matter where I am. So what about this? You were saying like uh, with the Wahoo app on your iPhone and the, yeah. the, the Skype app, about using the, the computer 
Um, what software do you have to, to use for it to read the, does it read the text online for you or, or how does it work so that you can hear yeah. what things say on the screen? So I use a, a software package called JAWS, which uh -huh. is a voice synthesizer. So basically what's on the screen that's in text is read out loud on a computer voice. All right. And all Apple products, including the iPhone, doesn't matter who you are. If you have an iPhone, you can go into general settings, accessibility, and turn on voiceover, and it will talk to you. Okay. So it comes built in with that, and um, I use that for you know that technology with my Wahoo Fitness is with my iPhone. When I'm running, I use Nike Plus, and I have an Apple Watch which also speaks, so that tells me my distance, my you know my uh, right my pace and all that stuff. Yeah. When that when that kind of technology was brand new. Um... I don't know, 10, 12 years ago with, with the re, the playing out loud of the distances and stuff on the, on the that you've been going, the, uh, I had a company send me uh, an MP3 player that did that. It was really mm -hmm. neat. They hadn't, it hadn't ironed out all the kinks. It was kind of buggy, but it was so yeah. cool um, that you could run along and it would tell you, you could pre-program it with how often and what to say. Yeah. It would tell you yeah. all these metrics and it was really neat. And, also, swimming, Finesse makes a, a one that plays against your eardrum, uh, against your, your jawbone. Yes. And then it will play, um, yeah, your heart rate and things like that, too. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, you know, technology has changed the world for people with disabilities. And, right. and, you know, for me, you know, technology plays a big role in everything that I do. I, my job is international travel. Um, so I do a lot of traveling and I always try to book a hotel with a gym and it's very disappointing when you, you know, you get down to the gym, you're all ready to run and suddenly you're facing a digital display with a flat screen. Mm -hmm. You can't tell where any of the buttons are or anything like, like that. There's nothing, right? So I got to get, I would show up and they always think I'm crazy. I show up and I'm like, hi, I'm checking in and can I please have a bellman take me down to the gym? And I have these little stick-on rubber buttons that I put on the display so that I can <laughs> control. Yeah, like, that's smart. Hopefully nobody yeah. will pick these off while I'm yeah. You know. So, yeah. yeah, I try to make it as accessible as possible. I also do, um, you know, I make sure that I take my TRX system with me okay. so that I can, if I can't get onto the treadmill, I can at least do strength building when I'm, you know, so that you just got to make everything accessible so that there's no excuse to wake up in the morning and say, I don't have to work out today. So I've done, um, I've done biking with the lights totally off myself. Yeah. Um, just to try something different. This was like about a year ago. Um, because I'm always finding, you know, that riding on a trainer is, um, you're always looking for, uh, different methods to keep it interesting. Mm -hmm. Even if you have all the tools, like all the cool stuff, the video games like Zwift and all this stuff, yeah, it gets after three rides, it's you're tired of it. You know, you want something to change. Yeah. So, uh, and I found, I, I think I did it a few times where I turned off all the lights and just pedaled in the in the darkness with my eyes closed and just pedaling along. And I thought it was, you know, I have a choice. You know, I can stop at any time I want. But I yeah. also thought it was it was really neat. Like it was. Yeah. Um, because all there is is your thoughts, and you and you can really listen to your body. But yeah. how do you how do you keep it um, stimulating 
to, to keep doing, you know, hour after hour or workout after workout. I mean, obviously that, that coach that can tell you, um, what you're doing is really great. Is, is there anything else that you have, uh, tips on, on how to keep people interested and motivated in their training, especially on the book? So, yeah, I, well, I mean, I use music, but I also use podcasts. I use audiobooks, mm-hmm. and, um, I also download descriptive video, we call it. So it's like, it's like you would be watching a movie, right? Except there's no screen; it's just audio, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's got just it's got a narration. So it's got a person describing oh, cool. what's happening cool. on the screen. Yeah, yeah. That's so neat. yeah, so I typically pick things that um, shows that I don't you know that are entertaining but don't need my full 100% attention. So if I zone out for a couple of minutes because I'm in you know you get into the the rhythmic motion of the cycling or whatever you have to back up a little bit. It's not a big deal. Right. Yeah. So I typically pick shows like that, um, or podcasts that I'm listening to that will get my brain active to the point where I don't think about the pain and suffering that my legs are going through right at that moment. (laughs) Yeah. I found that it's like, it needs to be sort of immersive, right? Just like a distracting a little bit. My, my latest thing that I've tried, is there's a, a YouTube channel that just plays music. There's lots of YouTube channels that just play music. And yeah. there's one called Lo-Fi Hip Hop Chill or something like that. And I found that listening to that uh, while I ride, and I have one earphone in on one side. Uh, this is when I'm riding, riding outside. But also indoors. Yeah. Indoors, both earphones in. It's just distracting enough where I can just sit and pedal along and listen to that. And you're kind of half into the music and then half into the yeah. workout. And then that seems to be perfect. That way yeah. you're engaged. If I'm cycling, yeah. I like to have uh, something that enter- that keeps my brain active. Mm-hmm. If I'm running, I like music so that I can I, – so I love the, the, the beat of the music. So I actually – I've set up my playlist so that I have – I run to the beat of the music so that – it keeps me motivated. It gives me a little bit of faster stuff, and then it gives me a little bit of slower stuff to give me a chance to get my heart rate back down again. Oh, nice! And and I do it all to music when I'm running. But when I'm on the bike, it's uh, it's all about focusing in on either just you know learning something or just having enough entertainment to make me laugh and mm-hmm. not worry about what else is happening. <laughs> and then yeah. Um, I actually have a swim spot at home. You know, one of those pools you swim against the current. Oh, I want to get one of those. I'm so close to getting one. Yeah, yeah it's they're absolutely fantastic. We, yeah. um, my husband gave it to me as a 50th birthday present. Okay. And um, I love it. I mean, you know, being in Ottawa, you've only got so many months of the year. Mm-hmm. This isn't Texas, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, I love it because in the winter time, it becomes my hot tub. Right. which is great for recovery and, you know, that kind of stuff. And in the spring, we turn it back into a pool, and then I swim. If I'm doing drills, I swim against the current. If I'm just going in to try and get a good um, time frame, like I want to go out and swim for an hour without stopping just to get the motion, mm-hmm. I use the um, the swim tether. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then typically at that point, if I'm just using the swim tether, I have the waterproof MP3 players, and then I just play music, and I swim to the beat of the music. So which um which waterproof MP3 player do you use? I have the Sony. Okay. Yeah. And it, it works great. Like, how do you get? Is it? How do you get? 
audio onto it. You just transfer it through the um, through the computer. Okay. I just copy and paste over like a, you know, using it as an extra drive. Okay. I'm sure there's a fancier way for it to do it, but that's how <laughs> I do it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I used to do all I, that stuff, and then when the iPhone came out, uh, pretty much, I started using that. You know, the, it automatically transfers stuff over, and then I quit listening to stuff in the water while swimming. But I'm interested yeah. in getting back into it too. It's really good for me because I'm, you know, typically I'm in the, I mean, I'm in the pool by myself, so I don't have to worry about other people. If I'm out in a public pool, which I, I do once in a while just to get the social aspect, you know, mm -hmm. I'll go with some friends and then I don't, cause then I, I mean, all I have is my hearing, right? So, right. um, but I find that if I'm swimming in the pool at home, I've got no, you know, I can't see and then I can't hear cause of my water, you know, the water in my ears. And I oh, just yeah. think, my God, sensory deprivation is huge. Yeah. Um, you have to concentrate in the pool, though. You can't just get in the pool and swim. You have to count every stroke because although swimming is supposed to be a non-contact sport, if you're blind, you contact with everything. Right. And um, I, I mean, have bro broken, I broken fingers. fingers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. massive band damage to my head, cracking into the side of the pool because yeah. I lost count. Yeah, everything. So, yeah, so I do. Pay more attention. Um, I uh, I have I have bad vision to the point of uh, my vision with if I don't wear my glasses or my contacts, my vision is uh, worse than somebody who is legally blind with with correction or something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Or with, anyway, it's really bad, and then I can't. I have astigmatism really bad too, where everything's like twisted yeah. and and you know stacked on top of each other. It's really ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I um, so I swim. I wear glasses like all the time. I just got out. Yeah. I only wear contacts whenever I really need to. And then if I'm going on an outdoor bike ride and I need sunglasses or something. And so I'm swimming all the time um, with it's just like uh, just this blur of colors yeah. and stuff. So I and also I grew up on swim teams and I I'm you know, I'm burned out. I love swimming, but I'm also burned out on the pool, right? On like swimming. Yeah. And also it's early in the morning for me. So actually I push off from the, I push off from the wall and I close my eyes and I yeah. swim with my eyes closed and, and then I count strokes and, yeah. um, and usually this pool isn't heavily used. So usually I usually have a lane to myself. And then, so it, you know, uh, if say it's just my right side, you know, I hit eight, seven or eight strokes on my right side. Then I kind of peek open my eye a little bit and see if I'm yeah. centered over the black line. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, oh, crap. And then I slam into a lane rope and, <laughs> and yeah. then, uh, and, and then I peek again just enough to do the flip turn. Yeah. And then I push off and then peek again to make sure I'm straight. And then I go back to my eyes closed yeah. again. And actually that's the way for years I've been swimming because, um, it's so, except for the crashing into things, it's actually so the sensory input, it's just so yeah. nice, you know, and yeah. like, you just can zone out. out. Yeah. You can get wonderful. into this real zone where, and the, I mean, one of the things I find, I might come out of the pool at the end of a good training session. Uh -huh. Um, I always tell people if I come out of the pool and I don't have basically a bruise from my shoulder down to my wrist from hitting the rope, <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't working hard enough. Yeah. Because <laughs> right? I literally, I swim right against the right hand. So every time my right hand comes out of the water, it yeah. taps the rope. Right. And 
when I get to the end, I glide to the wall. I can do a flip turn cool. as long as I count straight. Right. Um, get turned around, get right up to the rope, slam it. My left arm will slam into it, get myself straight and keep going. And, and I always I tell people like my biggest problem is the rhythmic motion of swimming Mm-hmm. puts me into that zone of like suddenly I forget where I am right lose count <laughs> forget my stroke count and I'm like oh my god where's the wall and then I hit it yeah and I used to have that it's both like good and bad because I remember on swim team in high school I would we had swim team early in the morning and I would zone out um because they're telling everybody to do every you know you just follow the person in front of you or just kind yeah. of keep track um and you can tell when you're kind of when a set's almost over, sets are so long, you know, you don't really need to count. And then um, I would think about what I'm going to do that, like, do I have any tests today? Um, do I have any reports due or yeah. anything? Like, I could totally zone out. So I'm used to swimming and zoning out. Yeah. Suddenly you've written the re- the best report in your head you've ever written in your life while yeah. you're in the pool and you can't take notes and it's horrid. I know. That's true, too. <laughs> I get out of the pool and I'm like, what was I thinking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, this interview's great, but we need to take a break from it all just for a moment and talk about triathlon Taryn, my buddy my YouTube pal. I've made some YouTube videos before. They are very, very difficult. And Taryn is talking about trying to actually do an audio podcast. He's big, big time in the YouTube arena. You can just go over to YouTube and search for, I was about to say Google, but yeah, Google, because Google owns YouTube actually. And search for Trathlon Taryn, T-A-R-E-N. He's our Canadian triathlon YouTube superstar. He does great videos that breaks down all what it's like training for a triathlon and also uh, little details about what to do, what not to do. I was watching one the other day about wearing the uh, floaty shorts is what they call them. So you can get neoprene shorts about the size of jammers and swim in those and those lift up your butt kind of like you're swimming with uh, a pull boy. And what that does is it fixes your form. It gets your uh, legs up more and gets you used to swimming like that. And uh, in the video, he's talking about that his his uh, regular age group team, the coach is all against it. But then he went over and talked to the pro team and they're all using them like all the time. And I don't actually know which one to go with there. I think you would need to do back and forth, back and forth. But maybe one practice with, one practice without or something like that. And then that way you uh, get a feel for what you should be feeling like swimming and then work on it to get there without them, maybe? I don't know. But Taryn has a podcast that is coming out, and he just emailed me and said that he's expecting my episode to come out pretty soon. But I would look on iTunes for the Triathlon Taryn podcast. And definitely uh, check it out. He's uh, asked to uh, be mentioned on this show because he knows that uh, Zentri listeners are uh, a lot like what he's looking for to listen to his podcast as well. And I'm always promoting other podcasts and uh, positive ones that are going to make us better athletes and try and spread stories out there to build the community. And Taryn is number one up there on the list of people that are positive, that are doing this, and spending a lot of their own time to uh, try to spread 
uh, information on how to do it happily. And once you solve the puzzle, you can be uh, big into the triathlon lifestyle and actually enjoy it. So go check out Triathlon Terran in the podcast universe. I'm sure on uh, iTunes and Google Play and let's see. Oh, and his guest host is his wife, which makes it really interesting. And yeah, that's it. All right, let's uh, let's uh, go back to the interview with uh, Diane and catch up with where we are uh, in her world of being an Ironman triathlete. Here we go. Okay, so uh, on the lane rope, have you talked to the? Do you do you go to the same pool? Can you talk them into doing the lane ropes that are like softer or anything like that? Or you know, I so I was going to like a master's program, but where I live in Ottawa, I actually live on a little island in the middle of the Rideau River. Oh wow! And um, transportation to get to a good pool nearby is a little bit difficult. Like it's an hour on the bus. Oh, okay. Each way, and so now that I have the pool in the backyard and you know, the swim spot. I just, I don't go to the pools. My, you know, I had my coach give me some training sessions and I literally just get in the pool and do everything in my backyard. I can do an entire triathlon in my house. Oh, nice. My son and I were talking about that the other day about doing that, but we have a, we have a small swimming pool, but we don't have um, the uh, current thing in it yet. But yeah, but if uh, you use like a tether, then you can just get out there and swim. Yeah. Do it by time. Yeah, and it's great for bricks, right? Because I go out there and I go, okay, I'm going to swim for 15 minutes, uh-huh. and and I, you know, I go for 15 minutes. As soon as that's done, I hop out, I do a full transition, get on, hop on my bike, which I'll set up on my patio, mm-hmm. you know, do 30 minutes on the bike, hop off the bike, transition, and go hop on the treadmill, and do my treadmill, and then yeah. you know that gives me a good a good brick. That's cool. Well, let's talk about your races that you did. Okay. Uh, what was your first triathlon and what was it like? Um, so my first triathlon happened by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, I had in 2009, I was taking my master's program uh, in Victoria, BC at Royal Rose University in leadership. Mm-hmm. And we did some, you know, different personality testing and different things. And, and um, because of that, somebody, you know, in the testing, they said, oh, Diane, you need to learn to trust better. And, and there was all this stuff happening. So I decided to challenge myself. And the first thing that I did was I decided to go on a skydive because I'm terrified of heights. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, if I'm that's the ultimate myself, trust. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I did a tandem skydive from 12,500 feet. Uh-huh. And that was kind of cool. And, and I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to videotape it. It's going to be great. I put it to music, put it on YouTube and scared the living daylights out of all my friends and my uh-huh. family. I'm like, take a look at what I did. Cause I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. Oh, that's even better. And uh, said <laughs> so the video, I'm like, take a look at this. And everybody's like, Oh my God, you're falling. Um, and then, um, a year later, I got invited to do a thing called blind behind the wheel where they put blind people behind the wheels of stock car stock cars oh my god and we get to drive stock cars and we have you know we have somebody sitting next to us giving us directions uh-huh. and we crash into things it was more like a crash up derby than a stock car but yeah um, we did that and then the year after that i i rappelled down the outside of a 29 story building for you know for fun um it was a fundraiser <laughs> but it was a challenge and then Wait, I was but if like, you can't see how is it how do you become how does it feel to be afraid of heights? Like just people telling you you're 29 stories up and that, well, that you can, can send shivers up here. you can hear everything below. 
Yeah, like how far away the car, the traffic yeah, is. Yeah, you can and hear stuff. the cars, you can hear the people, right. and you know, and and the other thing about um, being blind in height is that you can be three feet off the ground and it feels a lot higher because you can't see the ground. Right. So yeah, so it's a little bit of it was kind of weird, and huh. um, so yeah, so I rappelled down the side of the building for fundraiser, and then I had nothing sort of, and my friends were like, what are you going to do this year? And I was like, yeah, I got, I got nothing. I, <laughs> you know, and my friend said, why don't you do a triathlon? And I said, yeah, you're funny. I'm 47 and pretty much a couch potato. Yeah. And, um, she said, no, I think you got six months to train. I think we should do it. And she, her plan was to do a try a try, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, I'm kind of a go big or go home kind of person. So she told me about a particular triathlon, um, and, I looked into it and I said, all right. And I signed up for an Olympic. Oh, wow. Right off the bat. Yeah. yeah. And my, my friend was, my friend was like, Dad, I'm, I'm at a smaller one. <laughs> I said, no, I'm only going to do this once. This is a one and done. Yeah. So go big, go home. That's it. So started training <clears throat> and that particular was a fun community one. So they didn't go by ITU official rules so I could have different guides. So I actually had one guide for the swim, one for the bike and one for the run. Oh, nice. Okay. And, but they, we all did it together. All four of us. I mean, even the people that weren't, you know, guiding me during the swim, they all swam it, ran, you know, biked and ran. So we, they just switched off. Right. And my first Olympic took me four hours and 26 minutes. And I was the second to last person across the finish line behind only the 75 year old lady. Oh, wow. What, what was, or ahead of sorry, just, I mean, that was the only person that was behind me. So I, I I was just happy I crossed the finish line. Yeah. Well, what's the story about, do you know anything about that lady, the 75-year-old? No. Well, her and I were leapfrogging each other <laughs> through the whole race. And yeah. I actually said to her at one point, I said, you know what? One of us is going to come in last. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't matter which one of us as long as we cross. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so I came in like just maybe 10 seconds ahead of her. Yeah. Um, and I was just so happy to be finished. I thought, this is amazing. It is, that yeah. I, you know, that I even got this. And the next day, my friend Cheryl, the one who had talked me into this insanity, mm -hmm. um, called me and said, that was great. You did great. And I think you could do a half Ironman. Yeah. And I said, I don't want to talk to you for a month. <laughs> so she said, all right, I got a month. I'll talk to you later. And a month later, she phoned me. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on her and calendar. She said, She's yeah. like, all right, so what do you think? And I said, all right. So I signed us up for a half Ironman that year, mm -hmm. um, the uh, Great White North Half Ironman, okay. uh, just outside of Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, I mean, and then I had to get a bike because I had borrowed a bike. The bike that I had during the Olympic was a, a bike that had been put together by, I don't know who, it was like a go-go gadget kind of thing. Like things were falling off, our chain fell off halfway through the bike. Yeah. And, it was just a piece of it. So I went and bought myself a secondhand bike, and it was like a circa 1972 um, steel mountain bike with road slicks on it. Okay, yeah. Heavy tandem. Yeah. Um, but we took that, and we trained, and we went out, and my first half Ironman, I think, took me 7.38, I think it was. Yeah, to that's not too bad. And... Um, I was just so excited to get across the finish line. It's actually really good. <laughs> I, was, I, I was really excited. No, I'm thinking really about it. Like, that's actually pretty good. It was it a hilly, hilly one? It was, 
No, no, it was pretty flat. It was just, you know, we were just having fun. I never thought I'd do another one. And then not long after that, I said to my friend, you know, when I turn 50, Mm -hmm. for my 50th birthday, I want to do an Ironman. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we went back and did the half again the next year, and I think we did 732. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we had decided to do my, I, of course, I picked Mont Tremblant for my right. a nice, easy one, right? Really? Yeah. Easy. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like eighth in the world for? It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. So I right. picked that one. Yeah. And um, in the meantime, I moved to Ottawa. I moved to Ottawa. The race was in, in the summer of 2015, 2014th in the fall. I moved to Ottawa. Right. And I, in the February of 2016, my house flooded. Oh. I had like $170,000 damage to my house. Ooh. I was living in a hotel. I didn't have my own treadmill, so I was in a, you know, living in a hotel with no accessibility to equipment. Yeah. Pretty much everything that could go like my friend said to me that year the the, the being blind was the least of my Yeah, definitely. that year. Um, we went and did the half iron in June mm-hmm. at um Tremblant. I had severe bronchitis, but I went anyways. And actually, the, the funny story about that race was that two weeks before the race, I was at the United Nations. I was doing some work there in the cafeteria, bit into a sandwich. My front tooth comes out. Oh, what? Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm sitting there at the United Nations going, oh, my God, my tooth just. So we run around New York City. We were, New York City. We were running around New York City trying to find dental glue so I can glue my would tooth you, back. Would you? What'd you bite into? What was it? It was it was a sandwich, but it was it was a tooth that was had had a um what do you like a a root canal done to it. Oh, okay. I got so it something happened with the I don't know whatever the the cement they used and it yeah. just came out. So <laughs> so I'm gluing this tooth back in, but of course because I was new to Ottawa, I didn't have a dentist. So I'm two right. weeks away from doing my half Ironman at Tramla, and um. I'm like, I don't have a dentist, so I can't eat properly. Yeah. And two weeks later, I'm standing on the beach at Tremblant. I glue my tooth in in the morning. Right. Like TSN every track is there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. TSN is there filming. Right. <laughs> so I pulled my guide aside on the beach and I said, all right, I got a problem. I glued my tooth in, but there's a good chance in this swim, the tooth is going to come out. It's going to go. And I could come out the other end with a front tooth missing. Right. I said, we, we're not going to tell anybody it was like that before. We're going to say, I got kicked in the face on the swim. And look <laughs> at that courageous blind woman. She's going to keep going anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so luckily, my tooth stayed in. Yeah. Um, but I had, like I said, I had severe bronchitis. So by the time, it took me 8-11 to complete right. my first uh, half half at iron. Now, at, when, at you're, when you're swimming, are you, uh, are you tethered to another swimmer by your waist? Or how do you yes. do that? So we each wear a belt. Uh, it's actually a belt that's designed for kayakers, mm-hmm. um, but it's a quick release belt so that if anybody gets caught on our tether, we can release it quickly. Right. Um, and we use a one meter, so it's like three feet mm-hmm. uh, long rope in between us. Yeah. Um, I use a rope that's got some yellow on it so that it's easy to be seen in the water, and then right. we just get in the water with everybody else in our in our category, like, yeah. you know, my age group or the time or whatever. And, um, we just swim side by side. I try to use her physical motion in the water, like the movement of the water to try and stay close to her. But the belt is there mostly to 
stop me from wandering off, um, you know, getting out of sync. Well, and then also, like you said, it's colored to, yeah. to not warn, but show, tell other people. Like I, I mentioned in our email that I helped a, a blind athlete run a half marathon. Yeah. And, and she still had a little bit of her vision. She could see, you know, co you know, shadows or and yeah. light. And that's, yeah. that's about it. So I was, my job was she could, you know, to point out which direction we were going and point out any potholes and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the string between us wasn't for us. <laughs> yeah. It was to keep other people from running in between us and her getting separated from me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. so much fun though. I had the best time doing that. And before I, before I, um, uh, committed to doing it. I was like, man, why, you know, how am I going to do this? Or is this going to, yeah, Yeah, I'm taking out of my time, you know, to do this for the other person and stuff. I don't know, just like selfish kind of thoughts. Yeah. And then in the end, I am so glad I did it. And I had the time of my life. It was so much fun. So, yeah, you know, my guide that I just did the Ironman with, uh -huh. um, she posted on a, on a Facebook page and she said, she's done five Ironman. Uh -huh. And she said, by far, this was the most satisfying and the most fun Ironman she ever did. And I think yeah, it's because yeah. you get to the point where you're not doing it with, you're not a guide for somebody anymore. You're suddenly doing this as a team. Yeah, you're a teammate, 100%. Yeah. 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 It completely changes to from I'm doing this for you to I'm doing this as a part of the team. And each one right. of you has a commitment within that team and a responsibility within the team. Right. You have some awesome conversations along the way too. It is so, yeah. so interesting. Okay. Well, go ahead. Go back to your, uh, you come out of the water. Yeah. So we come out of the water. Um, and, and then you get on, I mean, you go through transition, which, you know, can have its own challenges because, uh, as you know, sometimes you've got a little minute, limited amount of space and, mm -hmm. People set up their transition zones based on, you know, what they're going to do next and making, and it's really easy to do when you can see everything. But if you can't see anything, you have to reach down and grab stuff and you hope you got to put your hands in the right places. You have to be very organized in transition. Right. Uh -huh. um, and then you hop on the bike and you get out on the tandem. Um, a, a tandem is, uh, you need to be with somebody on the tandem that is good at communication and there's got to be a lot of trust between the two of you. There's your trust building um, right there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, I always tell people, you know, communication is key. So you may, you may want to reflect on whether you want to do this with your spouse or not. Cause uh -huh. if well, you have a spouse that's not great at communication, it might just wreck your relationship. <laughs> yeah. They say another name for a tandem bicycle is a divorce machine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My, my husband and I tried to tandem before yeah. he comes out. I mean, he's not an athlete, so he comes out wearing a sweatpants and his t-shirt. Uh -huh. You know, yeah. I come out with my, you know, my clip on shoes and my helmet and my yeah. racing gloves. And, my, and I'm like, let's rock. And he's like, yeah, we're going for a nice casual ride. And I'm like, okay, we are not communicating the goal yeah. of this ride. Exactly. Right. Yep. You have to be in sync. So, um, yeah. And you also have to find somebody that you can, um, that, that works, you know, has about the same cadence as you. So you're dealing with, you know, this is the cadence that works well for me, that works well for them. Cause mm -hmm. if you have somebody that's got a slower, you know, works on slower cadence, it's difficult for you because your pedals are attached together. So you have oh. to pedal. So the, the cadence has to be the same. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then uh, lots of little communications, like I would imagine, um, but so when Emily's grandmother, uh, got to be about 
75. She had macular degeneration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we used to go uh, to to her house at first and then to the nursing home for like 10 years. I would see her at least once a month for a weekend. Yeah. Oh, maybe. I don't know. It's about that much. And then um, I really got into describing stuff to her. Yeah. Because um, she just loved it. And uh, we, I would describe the room. We'd walk her down the hallway and do all kinds of stuff. And then, um, but, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there with somebody that, you know, doesn't know how, what the surroundings are like, or, you know, unless you describe them to her. And she was, it was the, the feedback I could tell from her was so great. Like, um, Okay, Grant. We can just call her Granny. Okay, Granny. We're yeah. in the we're in the uh, dining area now, and and your friend is is to your right, uh, Miss you know Mrs. Johnson's to your right, and then uh, all this chicken looks really good. We have chicken, and like all, just like describing all this stuff to her, yeah. and it's yeah. a, and then like the weather outside and everything, and then or well, she doesn't know, and then I could imagine on the bike, like I would be the type that would be describing, just describing, yeah. no no opinion, but just like. Okay, we got you know a pothole coming up. We're going to turn right, so we got to lift up our right pedals. I, yeah. I, I imagine after a while you don't need to tell a person that, but we're gonna we're gonna turn right, and then there's a headwind that we're going to go into, and things like that. Is that how it goes? Yeah, we so typically she the things that are really important. I mean, she describes everything. Mm-hmm. So we'll be pedaling along, and she'll go, "Oh, we're crossing a bridge, and there's you know the the there's a little waterfall off to our left. It's really pretty, and there's and she'll, so she'll right. describe right. scenery. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Just to keep me entertained. Yeah. Um, but things like okay, we're coming up to a hill. It's about 150 meters. It's about a medium, you know, like a, a five six out of ten for mm-hmm. for steepness. So we're just going to grind this out. We're just going to spin it out and get to the top. Yeah. Or we've got a hundred meters. It's like at least a 12 percent incline. You're going to have to stand up and here's where I think you should stand up. And then she starts, you know, cause I have no idea when we're getting close to the top or so she'll say stand now and I'll stand up and she'll start counting down. And, you know, it, so there's a lot of communication when she's going to shift gears at the beginning, she has to say switching. So you, you can yeah. let off the, the pressure on the pedals after a while you get, you get to know each other to the point where the minute she releases a little bit of pressure on the pedals, I can feel that. And I know she's going to shift. Right. That is so um, cool. Yeah, so I mean, and going uphill on a tandem, you've got twice the power, mm-hmm. but you've mm-hmm. also got twice the weight. Right. And nothing near the um, agility because you can't you can't just zip around or yeah, decide like to stand when you want, you yeah. know. So going up hills, we're we're really slow. Oh. Really slow. Oh, but you said that you stand and, and pedal the both of you. I can stand. So yeah. some people can do two standing at the same, but then you're dealing with the bike shifting a lot and you lose some of the control of the bike. Right. So she'll stay sitting and I'll stand. Oh, but, okay. So you're not getting all the power, right? right. Yeah. But coming downhill, oh my God, be so you got scared. gravity, right? <laughs> yeah. So then you've got to deal with the person in the front has to be a good, strong cyclist to be, and be good at downhill. The person on the back, has to hold a position uh-huh. without shaking in any way, shape, or form. Like you've got to get into position and hold it. Yeah. And the person in the front has to have full confidence that you're not going to move, yeah. jiggle or move or do anything yeah. that's going to shake that bike. Yeah. Well, you know? Emily and I used to ride. Uh, I used to have a motorcycle, and and she used to ride on the back, and I would always be yelling at her. 
she'd start moving, you know, like looking around to the left and then looking yeah. around to the right of my helmet. And I'd yell, uh, stop it. And then it's, um, you know, we're doing 60 miles an hour or more. Yeah. And then so she'd turn around to the other side and go, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, and then you're jiggling. Stop. Yeah, stop yeah. it. And then, uh, yeah, the, the, the motorcycle would start to kind of fishtail. And uh, yeah. like, stop it. And then eventually I got to the point one time I, I was, she kept doing it. And so I, I uh, popped my head back a little bit and smacked her in the helmet with my helmet. <laughs> yeah. And then later she's like, why'd you do that? I'm going to get you to stop like <laughs> doing that. Yeah. Yeah. See, we, we go down, we went down um, some hills. I think the fastest we've ever gone downhill is about, well, we do 85 kilometers an hour downhill. So what's that like 57 oh miles God. an hour? Oh my God. Going downhill. Yeah. Holy and cow. and I love it. Yeah. I just to me that is like a massive rush. Yeah. And I just hold on. I hold my position, yeah. and I'm the one screaming "Yeehaw!" as we go down the hill. Yeah. And you know, I just think it's the greatest. I, cannot, I gotta talk to your friend. What's her name? Uh, Corey. Corey. Yeah. yeah. About. <laughs> She's just excited about this. She loves, it. Well, she's she's a great cyclist. Oh, does she uh, have she's a really really good your bike? What kind of bike is it, and does it have disc brakes on it? Yeah, we have disc brakes, oh, okay. which is yeah, much better help. on a tandem. Yeah, um, uh, we do. Uh, I have a, tan, a Cannondale Tandem T1. They call it. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's uh, I, you know, it's it's not the top. It's not carbon. It's got some carbon stuff, carbon mm -hmm. fiber stuff on it, but it's not a you know, it's an alloy. Um, yeah. bike the the cool thing about my bike everybody thinks it's the coolest bike ever because the front and back pedals are connected together usually by a chain and my bike it's connected by a belt it's got a belt connection huh and so, it's a yeah. carbon belt carbon belt yeah yeah so it's pretty sweet looking yeah. i have to say yeah yeah her name <laughs> like her name's black beauty so it's like you know we, we always say we got to take her out of the stable and take yeah. her for take her for a run yeah you know um that's cool yeah so so that's how and then the run we do we do the run a little bit differently because i have no light perception mm -hmm. um we don't tether at the waist like a lot of visually impaired people do we tether at the wrist right i could see that and she holds some people will tether at the wrist and they don't hold hands i i like her holding my hand either we do a hand over hand or she holds my hand mm -hmm. and then that way she can give me nonverbal cues like as we're starting to come up to maybe there's people in front of us and we need mm -hmm. to slow down she can just kind of squeeze my hand a little bit and then I slow down right um, and you know it's kind of like a three-legged race but with your hands connected and then yeah. you can still move your arms in the middle to get the momentum yeah but she has full control yeah that's true yeah. and there's there's so much nonverbal when you're holding somebody's hand especially like if, yeah. in a crowd and it's loud yeah. Um, you can go to, for people that are trying to relate to that, like go to a concert with somebody holding their hand and I mean, instinctively you hold their hand to, yeah. to say, Hey, we're going to go this way. Let's go that way. Or just to get somebody's yeah. attention before you say something like you kind of squeeze their yeah, hand for a second, squeeze their hand or touch their arm or whatever. Yeah, Physical contact is yeah. very important. That's cool. Okay. So yeah. this, this race, um, how did you do? So so I tried um, Ironman Mount Trommel on the full yeah. in 2015. And as I said, you know, I had some challenges with mm -hmm. training and so on. Yeah, you got but, lifed, as they say. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. But you know what? The, we we're getting close and people were like, should you just step out because you're not ready? And I said, you know, I paid money for that. I'm Scottish. I was born in Scotland uh -huh. originally. 
Okay. And I'm like, I'm way too cheap to like, I'm going to lose that money. If this is just a great $800 swim day, that's what yeah. I'm going to do. Right. Right. I agree. Um, <laughs> I would totally so we go got to an, <laughs> I'm just like, seriously, I'm, I've yeah. already paid for this. I'm going. Right. Uh, but I had no idea. I truly wasn't sure I was going to even make it on the bike, mm-hmm. depending. Uh, so we got in the water. Our, our swim was uh, an hour and 49 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was happy because even though it wasn't fast, it was... Um, I didn't have to stop to catch my breath. Right. There was no, like it was just continuous. It was just a good pace that I kept. And, you know, we always have to go a little bit further because as you can imagine, if you're a solo swimmer, you can get behind somebody and kind of ride in their bubbles a little bit. Mm-hmm. You can maneuver around people. When you got two people, you're, it's a lot harder to maneuver and yeah. zip around yeah. folks. And so, you know, we probably could have done it faster, but we were being careful and um, got out of the water, felt good. But the temperature started rising, mm-hmm. and uh, we hit the bike. The first 90K was excellent. Um, I was very pleased with it. We were doing a good clip, and we got to – I don't know if you – have you ever done Tromla? No, I haven't. Yeah, you need to try it. It's a double loop right. for the bike. And at the seven, from the 74 to the 81-kilometer loop is Mont Duplessis, yeah. which has 14% inclines. Oh, that's pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, I can't Just see much, but I was seeing stars point. on some of those hills, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, first loop went great. Uh, got to special knees. It was great. Yeah. Took off. Got to about the 125-kilometer mark. I'm sorry. I don't know miles. It's mm-hmm. thing. And the temperature rose to about 110 degrees, which I know for you is like a walk in the park. For me, being from Canada, yeah. I was dying. Yeah, well, I mean, anybody would, would, it doesn't matter how much heat training you do, that would cook you. And the amount yeah. of water that you need to drink is almost unattainable, I've learned. Yeah, I think I had like yeah. six, six, seven liters of water. Yeah, that's very normal that. for that amount. A lot of people don't know that, that you just need to drink insane amounts of water. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, okay. And I don't think I took in enough nutrition because uh, yeah. my stomach was starting to get too much because of the liquid. Mm-hmm. I probably didn't take in enough. So, I mean, I just really didn't know what I was doing. And, yeah. and I got to the second loop of Tromla, uh, or of, sorry, of Duplessis when we had to go up again. And the, a couple of the hills I had to get off and walk the, walk the bike up. I was just, yeah. I was done. And I actually said at that point to my guide, uh, Cheryl was my guide then. And I said, you know, I, I'm not sure I can run, mm. um, but let's get this bike done. And we finished the bike. I think the bike was 801. Okay. And got into transition, and she looked at me and said, "So, what do you think?" And I said, "Well, I'm still standing." Yeah, start walking. <laughs> let's let's start going and see what happens. Yeah. At the five kilometer mark, I knew I was in trouble. Yeah. I had severe. Um, I could not. My, I I couldn't regulate my body temperature. I was putting oh, ice in yeah. my shirt and in my hat, and every, and I couldn't bring my temperature down. Yeah. Um, my bladder had completely shut down. I had no feeling left yeah. in my bladder. Um, things were starting to go bad at the 5K mark, and I said to her, I don't know how far I'm going to make it, but we're going to keep going. And I made it to the 21K mark. Mm-hmm. And I stepped off because I knew if I at, – at that point, it was 14 hours. Um, got on the scale that night. I, I lost 8 pounds in the 14 hours. Yeah, that's too much. Yeah. And, you know, I just said to her, a, I'm not going to make it to the, I, I'll make it, but it's not going to be within the time frame. Right. Um, and 
I'm going to end up in the hospital and no finish line, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, unless you're you're a pro, mm-hmm. no finish line is worth going to the hospital. No, I've I've gone to the hospital a few days after the finish line because I still wasn't right, and yeah. I, I regret that. You know, yeah, it's, I should have gone slower during the race and not tried as hard. Yeah, I just didn't feel that it was it was right. So I stepped up, but before I stepped off the course, I actually you know TSN was there and they're talking to me, and I said, yeah, I got to step off. Um, but, but I'll be back in two years. I don't know what made me think I would be back in two years, but right at that moment, I'm like stumbling off the side of the road with severe heat stroke. And why two years? Why not one year? Why, why do you say, I don't know what's what made me say two years. I just said, I'll be back in two years, (laughs) two years. Give me two. And I stepped off the course and and I gave myself like a month to recover because I was in bad shape. I really was. I had such severe heat stroke. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And um, I, I seriously have no idea why I didn't up, end up in the hospital. Um, you probably could have gone, and they probably would have admitted you. <laughs> I probably, That's what I I've probably learned. should have been. Is I didn't um, want to go to the hospital my time, and then two days later, I went to the emergency room, and they were like, why didn't you come here earlier? We would have admitted you. I was like, oh. Well, yeah, you don't think. like You're just like, okay, I just ran this race, yeah. so I'm just, this is normal yeah. to be this bad. Right. Um but anyways, I ended up, so a month later I started, I said, look, that the, my, everybody has one section of the triathlon that is probably harder uh-huh. than anything else. And yeah. for me, it's the run. Yeah. And that's like, what makes triathlon so great is that you can't yeah. be really good at everything. There's going to be a part you struggle with. Exactly. And improve yourself. You learn about yourself, at least on one part. It's a lot of us, two yeah, exactly. parts. Some of us, three. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, like, I, I mean... You know, seriously, I mean, my swim was 149. It was a great time. If I really wanted to be to swim and improve my swim, I, I'm I'm a good swimmer when it comes to technique. Right. So I could train and I could be a much better swimmer. Wait, I'm thinking um, though, like I swim, I swim pretty good, and then I think if if you took my goggles and stuffed them full of cotton so I couldn't see, and then tried to make me swim open water, 2.4 miles is what it is in Imperial. I think I'd match your time, maybe. I'd probably be slower. <laughs> I'd be scared to death the entire time. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's I, to yeah. me it was, I mean, and it comes back to what is your goal, right? right? If, you, if your goal is to be the fastest blind swimmer on the planet, well, clearly I suck. But yeah. if your goal is to get through the swim and climb out of the water and feel like, yay, I did it. Yeah. Then, you know, I met my goal, right? right That's right. all I needed to do. Okay. And. And one of the things that I found in that particular race, which really fascinated, and I'm, you know, being a blind, growing up as a blind person, you, you get a lot of experiences where you face barriers and challenges and, you know, all sorts of things teach you all sorts of lessons in life. Right. When I finished that triathlon, I spent about three days feeling like a complete and utter failure because oh, I didn't, didn't yeah, cross didn't, the finish line. Yeah. I had set myself one goal, which was to cross, cross the finish line, and mm-hmm. I didn't do it. And, you know, the cameras were there, and everybody was cheering me on, and I let all these people down, and, oh, my God, I felt like a wreck. Yeah. And then my friend said to me, Diane, let's put this into perspective. She said, you just swam four kilometers, cycled in the mountains 180. Yeah. And ran 21 kilometers at the age of 50 in 110 degrees temperature while the rest of us sat on our backsides and watched you do it. Yep. And I realized I just went 205 kilometers mm-hmm. further mm-hmm. than I've ever gone before. Right. On a, on a really hot 
and difficult yeah. course. That's what one one thing um, that people forget about Ironmans is the you can pick easier courses and yeah. and you'll go a lot faster. And um, people uh, picking the if if you know better, I didn't know better myself when I first started mm -hmm. doing triathlons. I picked you know just whatever triathlon happened to be nearby. Yeah. And oh my gosh, I learned after a few years. I started doing them on the coast near Houston where it's flat. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just so boring, and that's where I grew up down there. So I'm not interested in doing them there. I, w I wanted to go out to the hill country, like near Austin and stuff like yeah. that. And yeah. they were so much easier. <laughs> I know. And I was like, oh my gosh, like why was I doing these like crazy hard ones? Uh, one super hilly elevation gain in July, like my first half iron. Yeah. And I and I almost died out there. And uh, my goal for for like two years was to be able to run the entire run portion of a half Ironman. And yeah. then I learned later, well, I was doing these Ironmans in July in Texas in, in the hill country. Yeah. It was not, not the, uh, not the way to, <laughs> to finish a race with all your goals checked off, you know? Yeah. That's but, actually going to be your personal best. No, it's not. And yeah, yeah. So then my personal best is in Galveston where it's like totally flat and I can just yeah. sail through that thing. Yeah. And you do it in September when it's not as hot or yeah. yeah. It's in spring. Yeah. It's starting to get hot, but it's at least, at least part of the morning. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so my goal was, I mean, I met, I didn't meet my goal, but I still walked away and I realized after I completely succeed, I just did something I never in my wildest dreams thought that I could ever do. And the only thing that made me feel that I wasn't a success was because I hadn't set my goal properly. Right. So going back out, I said, okay, now I, I know what this is like. I need to do several things. One being work on my run and try to improve my run. I had never done a marathon before. So right. I got to get, I got a couple of marathons under my belt and figure that out and yeah. get That's that huge. improved. Yeah. You know, so I, I did the, um, the wine glass marathon in Corning, New York. Um, again, one of my problems is, is I have a hard time racing. I'm all about the experience. So, you know, I did <laughs> yeah. the race. I stopped on the side of the road, had a glass of wine with some people yeah. in the middle of the race. That's really um, good attitude, though, for ultra distance stuff. Once you get up yeah. to like 30, 40 miles of something, like running, yeah. that, that's what'll get you through it, is not going to, is partying the entire way. Yeah, you just yeah. get, you know, we danced through the aid stations, we yeah. did all sorts of fun things. Um, and then I tried the, I, I signed up for the Dopey Challenge in Florida. Uh-huh. Oh, cool. And yeah. did that, you know, rolled the mid-marathon, mid, mid rode the roller coaster. <laughs> Uh, okay, got my well, picture that, taken at the castle. You know, it just, you know, it was fun, yeah. right? We, but we did it. But yeah. we just, yeah, it took me six hours, but we <laughs> did it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so really focused on the run, really focused on getting some training in the heat. Mm -hmm. um, and then signed up this year for, again, sorry, the half and the full. A lot of people said the same things where they're like, Diane, come on, you did trauma. You know, it's one of the hardest courses out there. Right. Like it's brutal. Why don't you pick something a little flatter? There's got to be something in Saskatchewan. <laughs> There's right. like not a hill anywhere. But you've got history with this race. You you got to show it who's boss now. I said there is absolutely no way I'm going to let that course conquer my life, yeah. and I'm going back to Trombla. Right. I um, see so that. I went back. Um, a little better trained. Didn't have my houses back together. <laughs> I yeah. have a tooth now, which is really exciting. Um, <laughs> More aerodynamic. I, 
I uh, I hit the half iron on June 25th was the half iron. So I went in there using that as we wanted to use that as a training day, uh-huh. you know, figuring out how to make sure that we're taking, you know, to, to be able to grab the bottles and uh, at aid stations and how can we best deal with that and, you know, different things like that. We finished the um, we finished the half in. So the first the first time I did that was eight eleven. And I improved my time by 51 minutes. We finished in 7:20. That's nice. That's a big improvement. Yeah, it was. It felt really good. Um, I felt really good about it. It was. It was fun. We had a good time. Mm-hmm. No injuries when I was done. You know, I mean, you know, I had to walk up and down the stairs sideways a little bit for a couple of days, but we were yeah. good. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then we went back on August 20th to do the full. Okay. And August 20th of this year. So this yeah. is just happened. Three weeks ago. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, you know how they, they highlight certain athletes at the mm-hmm. beginning of the race? Yeah. Like at the dinner? Yeah. So they they did a little thing on me, which was which was really nice because I was the only disabled athlete at the event. I uh, you um that's crazy that there there was only one of you. I would think that there would be a whole lot more. Yeah, no, you know, distance distance is not there's a there's um, para-athletes tend to, and I don't know why, maybe it's just, you know, because you have to find somebody that's willing to do the distance. So it's hard to find people that want to do an Ironman because you have to have the same guide from the beginning to the end. You can't switch guides in, in Ironman or right. ITU races. Oh, okay. Well, but so it's really, that. I mean, it's, it's not so hard to find somebody to go out and, you know, do a sprint or even an Olympic. But when you get up to the Ironman distance, it's it's hard to find somebody that wants to put in that much time and effort into training. Yeah. Um, but I happened to, you know, I had a friend that was willing to do it. So she's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And we trained hard together. We did everything we needed to do. And mm-hmm. so that, so they did a little highlight thing at the beginning, uh, you know, at the dinner, which, which was great. Cause I think it really, it educates people in a couple of areas. One that blind people can do this or people with disabilities in general can do this. Right. A lot of people don't go there in their minds, right? right? And secondly, there's you know almost two thousand athletes in the room, and they all go, "Oh, okay, we gotta we gotta look for the person on the tandem." We you know if we come across a tether mm-hmm. in our swim, we don't panic. Right. You know they're looking for you, right? Um, but it also the morning of the race, so many people had cheered me on and were so sweet. But the morning of the race, I thought, "Oh my God!" Two years ago, I failed and. Now I'm trying, like, this is my redemption race. <laughs> and what if I fail again? And all these people are so nice. And I'm, what if I let them down? And I was, you know, on the beach in this state of panic oh, yeah. thinking this, right? Yeah. And then I really had to stop, do the mental check and go, okay, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely nothing you can do at this point to change the outcome of this race. Right. You are trained up as hard as you're going to be trained up. Um, you're going to either have a great swim because nobody's going to get in front of you. But if somebody gets in front of you, you could crash into somebody. Whatever happens is going to happen. There's nothing you can do right at this moment to change the outcome. And you're just going to do your best. And in the long run, I really at no point, that was that one moment that I thought, what if I don't finish? And then I thought to myself, but that's ridiculous because I am going to finish today. Right. It's it's not for you know 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, you're better trained. You're going to be fine. And we hit the water. Um, as soon as I started swimming, I felt completely calm. 
Yeah. And I just swam. And we, so we finished our swim in 147.49. So I gained two minutes on the previous year. Okay. Um, hit the bike. And, you know, I was a little worried about duplicy, but we got up duplicy, no problem. Um, got through the special needs area. Mm-hmm. Now comes the second set of hills, right? And yeah, so and that, do you have to walk or not? Loop. And I was, you know what? It was funny because there's a spot right around the 25K mark when I uh-huh. started feeling bad two years ago. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, okay, I got to get past. And at that point, I thought I was already mentally ready to have that being the hard spot. But I was in such a good mood. We were laughing, we were cheering people on. I completely forgot that. Oh, it went by. <laughs> And I go, yeah. and it went by, and I never even thought about it. And then we got to the second, uh, the second. I mean, there's there's rolling hills all the way through that yeah. you deal with. I've heard. Then I got to Duplessis for the second time, and like a whole bunch of people were walking their bikes up the hill. Uh-huh. And I said to Corey, "There is absolutely no way I'm getting off this bike. I don't care if I cook my legs for the run. Yeah, we are taking this bike up those hills, and we. I refuse to get off this bike. Right." And we just powered through and we managed duplicy without getting off. Oh and I got to the top and I let go of the handlebars. It was tunes playing. I think it was Jump by Van Halen was playing out the speakers of this one air. And Good I'm song. like yeah. fist pumping to yeah. the music and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, I conquered duplicy. And I was so excited. <laughs> Everybody was laughing at me and, you know, cheering me on. And it felt so good. And so we, we rolled into transition after the bike at 727.17. That is, that is cool. So that was one way for you to show that you'd beaten the race yeah. and beaten yeah. the uh, fear. At that point, it didn't matter. I conquered yeah. duplicy, so it didn't matter, right? You know, so um, much of that is um, I've learned you're in a really good mood if your nutrition is, is yeah. uh, doing well. It totally changes your mood. If and what I can tell is by the music. That's funny that you said that yeah. about the music. Is if I am singing to myself, you know, like yeah. a happy song or a rock song or something with a good beat to it. Yeah. Um, I I I remind myself, hey, that's a sign that your nutrition is great. If yeah, and your energy level and your yeah. and your mindset, right? Yeah. Like you like you're suddenly you realize your mindset. If you're in a bad mood, you're good. It doesn't matter what tunes are yeah. playing you're going to be in a dark place and that makes it hard. And I mean, being on the back is great because I don't have to steer. Right. So I can let go of the handlebars anytime. So whenever we go through (laughs) like aid stations where they're blaring tunes or whatever, and people are, I just let go of this. And I I just tell my guy, like, be prepared. I'm going to dance now. And I'll like, you know, start bopping around and dancing with my arms in the air. And I'm just hanging out on the back of the bike, having a little dance while I'm (laughs) pedaling. Because it's like we gotta have some fun. If this is not fun, I'm not here. I'm not here to feel pain. I'm here well, to enjoy this. And and so people should remember that um, that one goal. If you want to have a really good Ironman, a half Ironman and up, is to always ride, drink and eat, and go at a yes. pace so that you want to kind of like kind of like dance or sing to yourself the entire yes. way. You will have a yes. really really good race. That means your enjoy nutrition it. is nailed. If you can't yeah. do that, um, then something's off. Yeah. Because you need that kind exactly. of energy to, to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then you hit so the run. We hit transition. Yeah. And um, went out to the run. 
And we had set ourselves the goal of crossing the finish line, feeling healthy, uninjured, and strong. That was our goal. So it didn't matter because it didn't matter if I finished the cross the finish line at you know 13 hours or 16 hours. I'm going to get the same finisher's medal, the same hat, the same shirt. Oh, yeah. Um, There's no difference. Everything's the same, right? <laughs> yeah, and quite frankly, it sounds way more impressive when you say you're out there for 16 hours than 10. It, <laughs> like, I've done 17 hours and I've done uh, you know a lot lower than that. And I can yeah. tell you the the 17 feels way more of an accomplishment. I remember yeah. that, the, that two or three that I was like 15, 16, 17, way more than the the faster ones because yeah. the being you got to push yourself going forward yeah. it's a battle and it's mental yeah right it's all yeah. the mental stuff. so we hit the run and so we had set ourselves so our strategy for the run quite frankly was walk up the hills right run down the hills <laughs> oh, and yeah. do um run walks all the way through stop at every aid station to take either nutrition or liquid that was our strategy. That's a, okay. So did your legs start to do that that thing where they felt like hammered meat uh, from running downhill? Or were they, no. they ended up all right? No, they were fine. Okay. They were really good. Um, but we power walked. You know, we did a lot of power walking. I have to yeah. say, we probably, we had seven hours and 15 minutes we, to get through the run. Uh, it took us 634. Um, so we, you know, we did a combination of running and walking yeah. and um but we danced through the aid stations <laughs> and, and we just, we really had a good time. We really had fun. We cheered people on. I was hugging people. I don't know who they are. Um, you know, I'm high-fiving people. I, we really just had a great time. And it, one of the things that I had said to my, uh, my guide was like, there's going to come a point in the race when I'm going to feel really uh, like, like I'm getting into that space where things are hurting and I just want to step off right. and I need you to do something for me. Cause if anybody can motivate me, it's my daughter. My daughter's 24. She lives in Edmonton. So she's like 2000 miles away from me. Mm -hmm. And I so said, if you can talk to her and get her to give you some comments that you can give me throughout the course, just to keep me thinking positive, that'd mm -hmm. be good. And what they did actually, uh, her and a friend of mine, was they connected not just with my daughter, but a bunch of my friends in Edmonton, and they made voice memos for me. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so my friend Cheryl, who was my yeah. first guide for Ironman, she, she came to cheer us on. And every once in a while in the course, she'd pop up and play a voice memo uh, from the side of the road from one of my friends. Yeah? How? Like uh, over, how, like a speaker or something? Well, yeah, like yeah. off her iPhone, you know? Oh, oh, okay. Come up next to you and then play it. Yeah. Okay. And she's just like, oh, somebody's got something to tell you. And I get this voice memo from, uh -huh. you know, somebody from, you know, a friend of mine from a while ago or whatever and wow. cheering me on. Yeah. And, and we got all the way to one kilometer. Like I got a kilometer to go to get to the finish line. I mean, I could stop and have a beer at this point. I got plenty of time, mm -hmm. so I'm not too worried. But I'm feeling like I just want this done. Yeah. And there's a hill in front of me, which is, in my opinion, just an insult. Why in God's name do we have one more uh -huh. hill to climb up before we get to the finish line? I know. I've been there. You know, <laughs> oh, it's just terrible. Yeah. And Corey's daughter pulls out a little Bluetooth speaker with her iPhone. She says, oh, Diane, I got something for you. And she plays, and my daughter's voice comes out of the darkness, you know? Yeah. She's like, hey, Mom, I, you know, I hear this is one of the hardest times in the race. And, 
you know, all you got to remember is put one foot in the front of the other. And no matter what happens today, whether you cross the finish line or not, know that I'm proud of you. I started crying like a big old baby. I had yeah. tears and snot from here to forever. It was ugly. Yeah. <laughs> and I just said, you know what? I, that just gave me what I needed Wow! to say this race is this race. I mean, the race was going to happen, but that just made me feel like she was with me. And um, so, yeah, and then we ran down the the finishing shoot. I had seen Mike Riley in the morning uh-huh. and I, I yelled to him and I said, two years ago, I was robbed of those four words, those four very special words. And tonight, you, when you see me cross the finish line, you yeah. scream them loud and proud for me. I want to hear them. So he came right up beside me on the finish line and yelled, Diane Bergeron, you are an Ironman. And that was the minute I realized I stopped running already. <laughs> I was already finished. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I made it, you know. Wow. And it was just so powerful. And then... I had such an honor, the, um, the race director, Dominic Pichet, who is the race director for Montremblant, came oh. and gave me my medal himself. Oh, cool. And I was so honored yeah. that he would do that for me. Um, yeah, so it was great. And, you know, of course, we crashed that night, and I was exhausted. And the next day we went to the, uh, the brunch, you know, the, the ceremony, the closing ceremonies, and they gave out the awards. Right. Uh, and they did the pros and then the age groupers and then they did the physically challenged category, but I'm the only one. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so of course it was great. I won first place and yeah. I'm going to take it. I don't care whether I'm the only one I'm going to, I'm going to take it. And, um, it was, it was so emotional, Brett at like, yeah. they called me up on the stage and I got the award and they gave me a finisher's jacket and I stepped forward and Corey and I held our awards up. And the entire room went into a standing ovation for us. Wow. And I just felt so emotional because, you know, an Iron Man, a lot of people think, oh, my God, that person's an Iron Man. And they don't think about the fact that I would not have been standing there at that moment if it had not been for Corey guiding me and training with me, if it had not been for my husband who said, yeah, we don't have to go camping and fishing this weekend, hon. You go do a, a mm -hmm. training session on your bike. If it hadn't been for all the people that went running with me on training days or, you know, just supported me on the race, people, strangers I didn't know was cheering me on. And, you know, and I stood there and I just got so emotional because I thought all these people were there for me. And whether you can see or you can't see. Right. When, when you cross the finish line of an Ironman, you are certainly not alone. That's true, for sure. Yeah. There was a sign um, one time when Corey was telling me one of the Ironmans she did, there was somebody holding up a sign that said, if, if you're still married, you didn't train hard enough. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one's funny. I think that's a yeah. new one. That's uh, People have had crazy signs for years, and I, I think I yeah. just saw that one this year. Like I had never seen that before. Yeah. yeah. The... Uh, the the cool thing um, when you do your your trail run race your Canadian uh, death race which you got to tell me yeah. about because I don't think a lot of people don't know there's a Georgia death race too I've heard of that one um, and um, is I've done trail run races and people can call you and uh, um, because they allow you to wear headphones and a lot of these uh, yeah. the, the ultra marathon stuff and that is really really neat to get phone calls from people to oh and, really and so they're live you can if you've got cell phone coverage in that area. 
Yeah, you can talk to family and friends. They just call in to check in on. You're out there for <laughs> a day or two. Yeah. And they're like, hey, just uh, what mile are you on and how you doing? And and uh, and people text you and all kinds of stuff. It's really neat. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. Well, I got news for you. You need to update your profile on uh, CNIB because it yeah. says that your goal is to is to actually complete an Ironman triathlon. I know. I know. I actually, I spoke to them about that. I said, I guess I better update this now and yeah. say that I'm on a new adventure. Yeah. So tell us about, um, this Canadian death race and, and, uh, what, what, what is the distances and how'd you get, uh, signed up for that one? So, um, Canadian death race is one that's done. It's, um, from grand, it's in grand cash, Alberta. So it's in the mountains. It's 125 kilometers with, um, six kilometers of elevation. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, you see, so you, uh, you cross two mountaintops. Yeah. Um, and it's a trail run It's it's pretty steep. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've got 24 hours to complete it. Okay. Uh, I am certainly not that kind of runner, but, they have never had a blind relay team. You can okay. either do it solo or as a five person relay. Okay. So, um, uh, I've, I made the decision that it wouldn't it be great if we had a five person relay. Mm -hmm. And so I have, at this point I have three other blind people. I'm trying to recruit one other person and we are going to do the first ever five person relay, uh, of the Canadian death race, uh, 2018. So I, I emailed the organizers because sometimes race directors get nervous right. when you tell you say, "Hey, I've got my blind person. I want to come do your race." Um, and so I emailed the the organizers and said, "I'd like to come in 2018 with this team." And they just emailed back and said, "Awesome. What do we need to do to make this positive for you?" Oh wow! And nice. So yeah, so I'm really looking. So I actually have to get in touch with them this week because I, I get a work all the details out. Um, but yeah, so that's, so that's what we're doing 2018. The other goal I have for 2018, because I'm such a fantastic runner, as I said, I've decided I need to qualify for Boston. Oh, okay. Um, so that's, so I'm training for the trail, for the trail run, but in the, you know, in the Hills and hoping that that will make me strong enough and fast enough to qualify for Boston for 2019. Now, is there, are you going to qualify just straight 52 year old female or is it uh, visually, impaired. visually impaired. So what's yeah. the time? Five hours. Five hours. Oh man. Yeah. So apparently I'm not allowed to stop and ride roller coasters and drink wine anymore. According to <laughs> my coach. I have your to, time. <laughs> yeah. He said, he said, if I want to do that, I'm going to need to run a huck of a lot faster than I do right now just yeah. to, to make up for that. So yeah. So that's, that's something I'd really like to do just for the experience. Right. Um, and uh, so those are my two goals for next year, qualify for Boston and do the, do the death race. Well, I think that's really smart because they're, they're similar, but they're very different, but one helps the other. Yeah. And kind of like that whole thing of like, uh, having something sort of stimulating on the, on the bike to keep you busy. Right. So yeah. like you, you kind of, you, you have like a setback in one, you still got the other one, but then the other one helps the first one in the, in the, yeah. in the other place. Exactly. So. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's what, a challenge, right? I yeah. mean, it's, you know, I could sit back and go, oh, you know, I mean, we, we're pretty good on the bike. Corey and I could go do a whole bunch of bike races, but I mean, what? Well, I, I've never been one to take the easy road, right? I'm like, okay, what is the sport I'm worst at, which is running? So let's go and do that. 
And what got me to be a much better runner finally uh, was signing up for a uh, trail run that was so big it scared me into really training for running. And then by training that much for this thing, I was so, you know, I was like, I have to train for this a lot. And then that, that made me fall in love with running. And then I got because I was getting faster at running, I was like, oh, this is great. I love this. Yeah. This is so much more fun. Yeah. And now I'd rather run uh, than pretty much do anything else. Yeah, you know, yeah. I for me, swimming is my favorite. But it's also kind of boring because you've got, you know, double yeah. <laughs> double the sensory for, um, deprivation. Right. But in a, in a lake, I don't have to worry about hitting things. Right. So I love just going out in open water with someone who's willing to go for a long swim. That's true, too. And just... You know, we'll just go swim across the lake. One of my favorite workouts, I did it a couple of times with some friends, is we drive, we drop off our running stuff at one beach, go to the other side, and then swim across the lake about 4K, get out, throw on our running shoes, and run back to the car. And, you know, to me, that's a great day. Right. You know, because I'm not, I'm, I'm having fun, I'm with a friend, I'm in the outdoors, I'm exercising. My friends think I'm insane. They're like, how can that be considered an, a fun day? And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, what else would be a fun day? Oh, yeah. What, yeah. You know. What are your other choices. I got a question yeah. for you. What about, uh, do you have a seeing eye dog? I do. And, you saw a picture of her. Yeah. What's her name? That's Lucy. Lucy. She's very pretty. Lucy is a six-year-old golden retriever. Uh-huh. And, um, she is, you were right. You mentioned, uh, and I did hear your, you reading my, my note last week and, and looking at the picture. We do our hair matches yes. very closely. Um, in she fact, is my very golden retriever, by the way, that, that yes. is so much a golden retriever. Like she's got the look. Yeah. She's, um, it's funny. Cause when I said to my instructor, you know, why did you match us? And she said, well, you both have the same hair color mm-hmm. and you both have a lot of bad attitude. <laughs> To be perfect and, together. Yeah, so so it took me a while to get her because she she thought she was in charge for quite some time, and uh-huh. so it took me some time to say, no, this is teamwork, man. You can't just always be deciding where we're going. Right, right. <laughs> so, but yeah, she's a very sweet girl. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I love I love her. She's she's does a really great job. She's a good girl. So, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, CNIB. What what does CNIB stand for? Canadian National Institute for the Blind. Okay, and then uh, you are a executive director for them. And you uh, said yeah, you, actually, you travel. that has to be updated too because um, they just promoted me. So I'm now the vice president of engagement and international affairs. Oh, cool! That's why you're at the UN, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so my job is basically advocacy at the national level. Mm-hmm. Um, working across the country to help remove barriers for people who are blind or partially sighted. And then internationally, I work with the World Blind Union and other um, like-minded organizations to try and help people in developing countries to access literature and um, orientation mobility and and rehabilitation services uh, and change laws at the international level. Right. Um, to try and make sure that people who are blind are given equal rights. And so that's, so that's what I do uh, as my job. Yeah. That's really neat. And the organization provides services in Canada. We, mm-hmm. we do, um, we teach people how to use white canes mm-hmm. and navigate their environment safely through orientation skills. And then internally, you know, we teach them independent living skills so they're safe in their homes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we do peer supports and kids, 
camps and um, youth programming, children's youth programming, all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. And that's at uh, cnib.ca. Yeah. And I was uh, going through the site. My, my favorite part was um, where you could sign up to be a, a host family for a puppy. To Yes. <laughs> I bet. Do you get a lot of people that want to do that? Well, you know, we just started the guide dog program yeah. um, in Canada. There's other schools in Canada. And one of the things that we decided was that um, we needed to start our own guide dog program for, mm-hmm. for several reasons. But as soon as we said we've got puppies, because – you know, guide dogs don't just fall out of the sky with a harness on and we grab it and off we go. Right. Um, we need to learn how to navigate our environment safely and, and properly. And then the dog needs to be trained. And they get they start right from about six weeks old. They're bred for this. We get them specifically from breeding programs that they're mm-hmm. bred for this. And then they go to a, like a foster family who teaches them basic obedience, gets them socialized so that, you know, they're right. not standing on a street corner in a fire truck goes by and they freak out. So they do all sorts of activities with them. And then when they're about a year old, they go um, with a uh, um, guide dog mobility instructor, we call them GDMIs, and they do the formal training, teach them, you know, with the harness where, where to stop at curbs and find things and do all the formal training. And then they get matched about four to six months later with a, with a blind person who trains anywhere from two to four weeks with them. Wow. Yeah. That's really that's really uh, interesting. And then, yeah, like you said, helping getting um, developing countries uh, moving along with with uh, programs. Or how would you describe it? Like, what's a country where you so, can work recently? And what did you do? So I've been to Uganda. I've been to um, Uruguay. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you know, if you look at, for example, literature um, right now internationally around the world only about seven percent of the world's published works are available in a format that a blind person can read either audio electronic or braille wow and in international in developing countries that drops down to one percent right and less than ten percent of blind kids in developing countries like in africa actually get provided with a formal education yeah Uh, so one of the things I did, uh, so when I did my Disney run, the Doki Challenge in January, mm-hmm. um, I did that as a fundraiser. We raised um, $5,000 to purchase what we call um, electronic braille displays. They're refreshable braille displays. So it's a device. It's kind of like a screen on your computer, but it's braille. It's little pins that pop up to make braille. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen that. It's, it changes based on what yeah. you're reading. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So um, we now have enough money to buy five of the, uh, sorry, 10 of those. And I'm going to be traveling to Rwanda in the new year to take the 10 devices to a school called the Blessing School for the Visually Impaired in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. And I'll be taking those to the school and teaching the kids how to use them and leaving them there so that they can access literature. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've also provided them, uh, we're in the process of putting together um, uh, availability for them to have a Braille printer. And we're sending them a whole bunch of devices so that the, the school can use them to teach the kids how to read and write and so that and and not only that we we send them games and different things so that they can learn not just how to do academics but also how to play and you know how to socialize yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's my favorite kind of stuff where it, the whatever you need already exists it's just uh you know connecting the dots and then getting yeah. 
getting it there and you just but it's it's frustrating though as well because you're so close you know, to to um conquering the problem and you yeah. just got to get through to some people to to do it and yeah. um, i deal with this i'm on a bike transportation committee in my town and there's bike lanes and bike lanes and bike lanes and then when it gets to an intersection the bike lane stops like yeah. uh, they stop it um uh, at times they've gotten better about this uh, like a, a hundred feet from the intersection yeah and you're like why would you do that <laughs> yeah. and they're they're like, well, we just figured that they would want to get up on the sidewalk to go through that intersection. I'm like, no, that's the whole problem. Like, yeah. do, do you realize that if if you built no more bike lanes and just spent your time for the next year connecting the bike lanes through these these five intersections through town, yeah. you would have continuous bike lane, and then way more people would bike. But people feel like they're an island. They they can't yeah. go past this one. Um, they can't get out of their neighborhood. Yeah. Well, and that's the same with if you look at people that use wheelchairs or, you know, the amount of times that people say, oh, we got low floor buses. And like, yeah, but the stop that you're stopping on has sidewalks with no curb cuts so they can get off the bus, but then they're stuck. They can't get anywhere. And, (laughs) you know, because you didn't speak to people. And that's that's the thing I always tell people. If you want to know how a blind person functions, ask a blind person. Don't ask a sighted person. Right. We had a clue. We had um, a business leader say something. Uh, they're arguing against putting in bike racks, you know. Yeah. And it's so typical. And they said, "Well, we would want the bike rack up front. You know, that could take like away from parking." And and okay, so now you want to cut off. You could put ten customers in bike racks, by the way, for your one mm-hmm. car. And yeah. then, um, but well, they biked all the way here, so wouldn't they want the bike rack in the back of the parking lot so that they can? Um, because they're they're obviously in the fitness and stuff, so wouldn't they want to walk? <laughs> it's, like, it's like you bike five miles across town and then see if you <laughs> yeah. want to leave your nice bicycle on the other side of the parking lot where somebody can steal yeah. it. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's insane sometimes. But, I mean, we're all that way about something that we don't understand, that we don't... Well, we make assumptions, we right? Yeah, yeah. usually so in your own favor. Yeah. I talk to people and say, what is it that you need? I mean, I had that, it was funny, I saw... You know, I talked to you about race directors, and so there was a, a particular competition, and it was a, it was a provincials or nationals or whatever. And you know, with triathlon, ITU, they have certain rules and whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, but they had they had a para, they have a para category, but it's a sprint. Right. And I didn't want to do a sprint; I wanted to do an Olympic. Mm-hmm. So. I went on the website and I'm reading and it says the Olympic is it's open. It's for, you know, athletes of all abilities. So I don't know. Cool. So I signed up for the Olympic in my age category. Right. And I sent the organizers an email and said, just, you know, I'm blind, but I, you know, I'm signed up for the Olympic because that's the distance I want to do. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. training to do a longer distance and this would be a great, you know, be a great opportunity. And it's, <laughs> So I got an email back a week later that said, thank you very much for signing up. Unfortunately, um, we were concerned that you're going to be a safety and fairness risk if you're in the regular category. So we're happy to have you sign up for the para category. Okay. But that's back so to our, the sprint. Exactly. So, yeah. I gotta, so I responded. I said, oh, I'm sorry. There seems to be a misunderstanding. You don't have an Olympic para. If you had an Olympic para, I'd be happy to do it. But you don't have that. Your website says it's for all abilities. I'd be happy to discuss this with you. And, 
you know, we'll, you know, we, we can discuss how to mitigate any concerns you have on safety and fairness. So waited a week, another email comes in, sorry, we've talked about it and we have decided that we cannot accommodate you in this race. You're going to need to join all the other paras. Yeah. So I responded with, well, I'm really sorry you feel this way. I really feel like this is not the right answer. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I find it disturbing and discriminatory. I'd like to talk to you about this. So they sent their executive director and the race director down to my office. Right. And I met with them and they said, well, you know, we don't feel this is safe. And they, they gave me all sorts of sort of information like, you know, they might not insure it. And I said, well, have you talked to the insurance company? And they said, well, no, not yet. Right. And have you ITU, noticed that Iron Man allows this? <laughs> they said, well, ITU might not allow it. And I said, well, have you talked to them? Well, we sent them an email, but we haven't heard back yet. And I said, do you have any kind of evidence-based research? You know, and they said, well, you know, the bike, you, the big tandem, you could have a oh, crash. And They don't know said, anything about this then. Yeah. I said, let's take a look at the statistics and see how many crashes there are in tandems in comparison to how many crashes there are in single bikes. Yeah, probably a lot and safer. compare those. Yeah. Right? So I finally said, you know, you've, you've got no evidence, you've got no response from ITU, you haven't even talked to your insurance, you, but yet three times already you've refused to allow me to participate. So what are you using as a basis for making that decision? And the race director said, I've been an athlete all my life and my gut tells me that this isn't safe. And I said, well, I've been blind almost all of my life and my gut tells me your gut is wrong. Right. Right. Like you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Right. So, you know, I said to him, look, I am absolutely willing to discuss with you and um, communicate on how I participate in this race. Not if I will participate, I will see you on the morning of the race. And we will figure out a way to make this. You can either talk to me about it and come up with the safest way that will that, you know, that will make you comfortable Mm -hmm. or you can just let me race and whatever. And, you know, they eventually sent me an email and say, we're happy to let you know that we've decided we can accommodate you. (laughs) You decided that they're going to let them, that they're going to let you. (laughs) You And happily, I showed up for the race. I did the Olympic. Uh Um, It was a great race. I had fun. It was really fun. Did you try to be extra careful and not like crash and take out 10 people? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, people, I hear somebody running up behind me. I step off and let them go by so I didn't get in their way. And, and, and it's disappointing to me in the fact that since then, ever since then, because of what they said, I really have to be careful in the swim. I get this nervous thing now that somebody's going to get caught on my tether because that was their big concern. So I, you know, I try to mitigate that, but, um, you know, it, it was a great race. Mm-hmm. The majority of the people on that course, you know, thanked me for being there. Yeah, totally. I love, I love when I see you people know? on a tandem and I know that they're, somebody's helping somebody else get through it. Yeah. Everybody nobody cheers said extra to me, for them. Yeah. Nobody said to me, why are you here? You're, you know, you're a safety and fairness risk. Yeah. Um, sadly, when I crossed the finish line, I was the only athlete that they did not announce my, my finish. Oh, weird. Um, you know, I, you run across the, everybody's running across the finish line and getting their number and their name and their time. And there is, I run across the finish line. It's total silence from the, the sound booth. Yeah. Um, and I emailed them the next day and said, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the race was great. I feel great about the race. Hopefully you feel okay about having me there. And, you know, 
trying to sort of put out the olive branch and never heard back from them. And to be honest with you, I, so in that race, it was a qualifier for worlds. Okay. So the top four people in, or the top five people, sorry, in each category qualified for worlds for the next year Mm -hmm. in the same place. Well, there was only four women in my category of my age group, so I actually qualified for Worlds. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, you're supposed to let them know within like 45 days or something, uh-huh. or, you know. Yeah. And my friend said to me, well, you're going to tell them, because I, I had something else planned for that time, but I wasn't going to go. Yeah. And she said, well, you're going to tell them? I said, no, I'm going to let them sweat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I never told them. I let them wait till the last minute. Yeah. Because awesome. I thought, you know, I tried to be nice about it, but I, so that was my one little nasty moment yeah. in triathlon where I just, but it, but it was that attitude of, they didn't ask me, how would you do this? Or how could we mitigate this? Or what right. would be the learn, best way? Yeah, was, to sit down and learn from you how yeah, you can do it. It was just stop. Whereas yeah. other races, Mont Trombla, when I went there, I mean, I emailed them and said, hi, I'm coming. I'm blind. Uh-huh. Here's what I'm doing. And honest to God, you could not ask for more accommodating yeah. people that's one thing i definitely love about iron man is they're huge on that when they do the kona coverage every year you know they spend yeah. time on the the um the para athletes a lot of time on that and that's that's an example i always use you know people are like well i could never do a sprint triathlon you know and i said well there's a guy that did an iron man with like no arms yeah <laughs> exactly how, how does he even i don't even know how he does any of that and i've seen him do it right this guy yeah. he's missing his arms maybe from the elbows down on one side and all the way on the yeah. other I, I forgot but anyway and and like he can change a bike tire or something like that too and even though i've seen him do it i can't under i can't imagine how he does it yeah you're, yeah. you're boggled right yeah I mean, I find that all the time. I'm going yeah. about my business, and people go, "Well, how do you do this?" And I go, "Well, you just adjust it." And you, yeah, there's a way. There's always a way. You know, I just I, and to me, I don't even think about it. Yeah. It's, you know, when I'm running, I don't think about it. Right. You know, whereas other people are like, "But, but, how does your guy do that? And how do they know what to tell you? And how do you communicate?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't know. We just we run. We talk about the weather, and on you know mid mid stride, she'll say, you know, speed bump." Yeah, <laughs> you just keep going, and you just lift your feet higher. I remember saying that to, to the runner I was a speed yeah. bump, and then one time I forgot something. I got lost in the moment. I was looking at the trees or a squirrel yeah. or something like that, and she stumped. She didn't fall down. She stumped. She tripped and stumbled a little bit, and I said, "Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry." And she said, "Oh no, like I do that all the time already, so it's nothing." You know, I, I always tell my guides because they always get stressed out at the beginning. Yeah, like what if I mess up? And I was like, "Look." Blind people don't get into triathlon expecting that they're going to come out of it without any injuries. Yeah, they're probably going to fall right? down. <laughs> I mean, you know, people people that can see yeah. get injured. Right. So you Boy, can't protect me, yeah. right? We're just things are going to happen. You know, and then I start telling them. I think I think the epic the epic my friend calls it the epic guide fail uh-huh. was uh, on a bike on a bike ride. We were with a bike tour. We were doing one of our long rides. Just you know hanging out with some with with a group doing a tour we're going uphill and the chain fell off the bike <laughs> oh whoa so, so suddenly you know, our feet are reverse. spinning like yeah. we're clowns you know yeah. and she yells bail get off and <laughs> you know so i it's never happened to me before i don't know what to, so i'm trying to unclip my left foot comes out my right foot is stuck i yeah. can't get my right foot 
she instinctively jumps off the bike, but her, you know, when you, when you do it by instinct, you just leap and she threw her foot backwards uh-huh. like you would normally jump off of, well, I'm right behind her. Yeah, it hit you. So her, her cleat hit me in the shoulder and then, you know, oh, across my chest a bit. Yeah. And she ended up on her feet. I'm on the ground under the bike, laying on the, and I am laughing because this is just the stupidest situation you could possibly be in. I'm yeah, laying on the yeah. ground. My biggest upset was that I had a little speaker attached. We were playing some tunes, and the speaker had fallen off the bike, and I didn't know where it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's standing there almost in tears beside the bike, and all I hear is her going, I'm a monster. I'm a monster. Not only did I let the blind lady go down with the ship, I kicked her on the way down. I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm oh like, you know God. what? Stuff happens, right? Yeah. I'm going to fall. There may be blood involved. There's certainly going to be bruises, and you're going to have a heck of a story to tell when you get home. Yeah, I, I've I've tripped and fallen while trail running many times, and one time yeah. I um uh, I uh, I just laid there. There I was just out training, and I made there's nobody around, so there was no hurry in getting up, and I just laughed. I'm like, this is so ridiculous. What am I doing? Yeah, and I just laid there on my back, going, why, why? <laughs> The way I fell was one of those downhill stumbles where there's nothing in front of you, <laughs> yes. and you just keep going and going and going. And yeah, well, how- you always got to look in the you got to look on the bright side yeah. and the humorous side. And you know, I I find also when you're when you're blind, of course, you got the person with you. Mm-hmm. And I was actually thrilled when Corey said that out of five Ironmans, this was the most fun and most rewarding because I thought it's so hard to find guides. So, you know, if there's anything I can encourage your, you know, your listeners Mm -hmm. is find a way to take the time to guide another, a blind athlete or be a handler for an athlete who, who uses a wheelchair, whatever it is, because at the end of the day, you're just going to have so much fun that it becomes no longer a race, but an experience. Yeah, I agree. I, I wish there, w- there was a website. There might be one of an index, like a directory of people that that would want to help a guide, be a guide during triathlons. But I guess maybe there's not. That would be kind of neat if somebody put that there's together. Some, there used to be in Canada that the, the um, Blind Tri organization was called One With One. It's, it's mm-hmm. since um, kind of defunct, but... You know, we can usually find people looking to do triathlon. Any of the um, organizations, there's sports organizations for the blind all over the world. And if you just connect with a sports organization for blind and visually impaired people, um, they will find you an athlete, whether it be through Achilles. Achilles is the the, um, international organization for running. Uh Um, They will find you somebody to to connect with to do some some, uh, triathlon or running or biking or whatever with okay cool well i guess uh i guess that wraps us up it's been really fun we've been talking for almost two hours this (laughs) this has been a great interview i really enjoyed it thanks brett yeah well thank you for taking the time are are you still on your high from finishing your iron man you're you're not sore anymore i bet and then you're now you're an iron man yeah i'm uh, a little bit still shocked that i did it yeah um i took two weeks to eat and drink and I had ice cream for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm starting training again yeah. uh, for my running right yeah. away. And, 
Yeah, I mean, I still feel really good about what I did. I, I feel positive about what I did, and I, I do feel like I accomplished something, but now it's time to move on to the next big adventure. Right. Well, I mean, um, you're definitely, yeah. you know, executing your job function. <laughs> <laughs> Being a spokesperson for the blind, uh, this is amazing because you can just point to some stuff that you've done. Well, you know, if yeah. I can encourage either somebody who's blind to get more active or, you know, just be more involved in the world um, or somebody who's sighted, you know, you know, one of the things I said to Corey, we're actually on the bike and it kind of hit me that, you know, there was 1,946 or whatever athletes at Tromblon. and they were all in the room when they played the video. Mm-hmm. And I said, if if even one percent of them is someone in in the position of power to hire somebody or make a change in policy or whatever, and decides, look, at we need to do something to change the world for these people. Like seriously, like that, that in itself will create such a positive impact on the quality of life. People who are blind and partially sighted that it makes every ounce of pain and suffering in an Ironman worth it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, put this show up and see uh, who contacts you for some more adventures. And I feel like this is going to be a hit episode. This is good stuff. Hope so. I do have an email. If anybody is looking Uh to do something, they can go to the blindtriathlete at outlook.com. Blindtriathlete at... Say it again. It's the blind triathlete mm-hmm. at outlook.com. At outlook.com. Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thank yeah, you so thanks much. Thanks so much. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye bye. All right. Thanks, Diane. And we recorded that about a week ago, and it's just been going through my mind about how impressive what Diane has done. And also, uh, a few times at work and with some friends, I've mentioned uh, my interview with her and and how just amazing what she did is, and that's actually what uh, we're looking for in ourselves, and just a true story of of accomplishment and not giving up and then reaching your goals and setting the example for others. It was really cool. So thanks again, Diane, and... If you've got a story like that or you want me to uh, find out more and tell people more about a story like hers, let me know. It's very cool. All right, we're going to do a few sponsors and then get into the training log. First off, let's do uh, Salt Stick. So I just uh, did a bike ride and a run. I did a brick. I did a reverse brick. Actually, I did the run first and then the bike ride uh, because it was cooler early in the morning. Uh, and I made a I made a three hour water bottle because I was doing one hour run and then two hour bike, and Gatorade and maltodextrin, but it's a little lean on electrolytes, so I put salt stick in it. I did three capsules, one per hour, in there, and it's an electrolyte that isn't just uh, salt; it's actually a whole bunch of other things. And what they got the idea from was testing athletes of what they actually sweat out. <laughs> Doing a chemical analysis on that so they know what to put back in. So it's a lot of extra things like potassium and magnesium. And the uh, the cool thing is that uh, athletes that took in a that took a salt stick finished a seventy point three race in an average of twenty six minutes faster than the control group. 
that's uh, pretty amazing. So you make your water stick with salt stick is the phrase I came up with. <laughs> because if you don't do enough electrolytes in your water, your, your water runs through you and then you can get all kinds of cramping and stuff uh, because you're uh, not hydrated enough. And I've had that happen before and then up my salt stick and then it went away, which definitely works. So here is your discount codes. We've got 25% off your order with Zentry25. All one word, Zentry25, the number 25 at the end of that. Go try it out. See what happens at shop, blah, shopsaltstick.com. And that's only in the United, in the United States. So if you live out in the United, United States, uh, sorry about that, but you can use uh, saltstick.com instead and go to the store locator and find where there is salt stick near you. All right, we also have, let's see, you can, you can get, uh, you can with a discount code ZENTRY, get 15% off. I've used it for my last couple of swims. Cranking out some awesome swims, which we're going to hear in the train log. Full hour, nonstop freestyle, 4,500 yards average, which is like a 120 per 100 yards average. Uh, not stopping, not fueling on anything. I'm taking you can beforehand. You can discount code Zentry, 15% off. And then Amrita Bars is uh, it's starting to get to be a little bit cooler outside. And get your Amrita Bars now and be prepared for winter because Amrita Bars don't freeze on you. They're uh, soft and chewy, and they're mostly made out of dates and then a whole bunch of other stuff to make up the different flavors. They have a protein mix, which is really cool. And there's uh, just all kinds of wonderful flavors, like strawberry. I like that one a lot. And they mix it in with the dates and a few other things, so they uh, go down easy. There's no nuts in them, so if you have a nut allergy, that really helps. Uh, there is... Uh, they have seeds instead, which is really cool. And they're um, anti-inflammatory, which is cool. Help you recover faster. And I use them all the time. Sometimes I eat them on my way to the pool or on the, the way leaving the pool. And I've lo a lot of times I've used them on the bike. And taking a bite, kept on riding, taking a bite, kept on riding. And it really works. So there's a discount code for them. And it is Zen. And you can get 15% off. I've posted some pictures on Instagram uh, talking about uh, Amrita Bars. You can go check that out. I'm on Instagram as Zen Triathlon. And yeah, 15% off orders. Yeah, Zen. Go check it out. Not grain-based, but fruit, date-based. Really cool. All right, we're going to do the... Uh, training log and then mention hornet juice and donations after that got a nice long training log all kinds of fun in there so let's go ahead and get going here we go you are entering the zentrite training log zone Kuneli. hi everybody my name is brett i'm a trap I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself. All right, it is Wednesday, September 6th. Welcome 
to a new Zintry training low. Already did the start date. Let's see. I am feeling mellow, man. Went to the pool and swam, uh, not by my timer beep like I usually do, but decided to swim a little bit more zen by uh, counting strokes and trying to keep the same cadence all the time. A nice medium, medium high cadence with a very, very almost light burn in the arms. Almost a burn on the edge of a burn, but not quite. And also, yeah, high cadence and a firm catch. But then also counting my strokes and trying to not do whatever makes my strokes, uh, the stroke count higher to get across the pool. So if your cadence is the same, feels the same, but you're getting to the pool, the other side of the uh, pool, the wall, in fewer strokes, then you're uh, being more efficient at the same effort level. So you keep the effort exactly the same. <clears throat> All the body metrics, cadence, burn, breathing, nice uh, zone two breathing, top end of zone two, zone two. If you start heaving for air, then back off again and keeping your form together. But trying like a little bit different things, a little bit of head up, a little bit of a wider catch, a little bit of more uh, grabbing with the palm, getting that feel for the water. Uh, a little bit more high elbow here and there, seeing what a longer push off from the wall and seeing what gets you to the other side with uh, fewer strokes. And, and that was really hypnotic. And there's a really good podcast, The uh, Brick Sessions where he just, I think it was a Brick Sessions, he just interviewed the guy that teaches one of the big swim teams that's good for triathletes. And he was saying that they had found that the number one thing to make swimmers faster is to give them something entrancing to focus on. So usually they use the pace clock, just focus, 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 focus on something to make the time go by and you will swim better. Hey, I can't hang out very long. I gotta go. I gotta go into W to the ERK outbang. Well, hadly ho, all you Zentri rock stars. Oh man, I am in the mobile studios, but not leaving the pool. I'm uh, driving to work, but I have uh, just done an hour on the bicicleta. And I say it in the Espanol because I was watching Ironman 70.3 Monterey, which looks beautiful. They have a, um, a swim and a river walk kind of thing, which looked uh, kind of nice, as long as nobody spiked the water with something terrible. <laughs> and, oh, that was nice. And that was after watching Iron Man Brussels. And so what I found is um, the, the day before your bike ride, flag uh, YouTube videos when you're surfing the interwebs, flag YouTube videos for um, on your watch later list maybe. Or you could create a really good list. I, you can just make a list and put it in that. I have one of those called Wild Rolling because I used to ride rollers a lot. And those are like point of view from the rider of long uh, bike rides that are like an hour, 
half an hour or more. Oh shoot, now I gotta stop. Hold on, coffee time. Actually, uh, Earl Grey tea. Woohoo! No wait, this is green tea out of the Keurig. Green tea, oh man, with a, just a tiny bit of butter in it and a little bit of ashwagandha. And I'm trying to think what else is in there. Oh, I'm gonna try a new way to work because one, it's good for your brain. And a new way, I'm, it's just a minor detour. That's what I'm doing. And it's good for your brain to try different things. So I have like three different ways at least I can think of, of getting home from my office. And every once in a while I take a different one. And they say that's one thing that keeps your brain from aging is having to uh, think and calculate, you know, new stuff. And, oh man, oh this is exciting, this new way. Holy cow, look at this, look at me go, look at me go. Yeah, really interesting, huh? I wonder if that's illegal. <laughs> anyway, um, I've been doing a new bike workout instead of just riding constantly or riding the Zwift video game and you know riding the hills on that which by the way Zwift is uh, one of these games that you can ride that interacts with your smart trainer so it can engage you more in the hills or less and stuff and I ordered the Dorito the Elite Dorito uh, Elite made one before the Dorito that was it's uh, you take your wheel off and put your bike on, so it's kind of got a body to it a little bit on this trainer. And they made a horrible mistake, in my opinion, and made the body of it beige. So it looks like a 1990s PC. I used to build, uh, well, I only did it a few times, build computers. And I ordered a computer body made uh, that was translucent purple, but ended up being kind of bluish purple. It was really cool. Anyway, I had a video card in it so I could watch TV. It was just like a 50 extra bucks. I could watch TV on my uh, PC. It was nice. I had a cable card that I had put in it. But what was my point? I forgot my point, which is typical. Ooh, will he make the intersection? And he does. <laughs> Look at that. Not a bad little route. Huh, that's an interesting new way to get through this um, Charlie Foxtrot of an intersection. Speaking of Charlie Foxtrot, which is Call Signs Military, the latest uh, Jocko podcast where it's just him and Echo talking about leadership, which actually he talks about a bunch, but they go right into leadership and answering questions from readers about situations to do. Man, it is one of the most functional, expert uh, talks I've ever heard on solving leadership problems. It is really, really good. And I only listened to the first hour. I listened to it while I was running last night. And it was fantastic. Getting stuff done, man, from a Navy SEAL point of view. Oh, look, somebody threw a cigarette out on the ground right in front of us. That's so nice. Anyway, I've gone off on like six tangents so far. Um, <clears throat> oh, my uh, smart trainer, which is supposed to be on the way, is uh, gonna be backed up, if not smashed, destroyed by a hurricane. 
Uh, this is it Irma. We had Harvey, and then Irma is a Category Five. Harvey was a total hell of a powerful hurricane at a Category Four with sustained winds in the 130s or something like that. This one is like if there was a Category Six, it would be a Category Six, but they only go up to Category Five. But sustained winds at times of 180, 180 miles an hour. The thing is a monster, and it just hit. Uh, St. Martin and it skimmed the edge of Puerto Rico so far as of this morning and it's heading right for Florida and everybody's having a lot of fun joking about how you know a hurricane's kind of like a hole and Florida's kind of like a penis because it's a peninsula and the pictures of it are um, you know the radar forecast predictions of one entering the other <laughs> it's pretty funny so you got to check those out on the interwebs and Anyway, I got this email from uh, Elite Dorito uh, saying, a clever training is what I ordered it through with the DC Rainmaker uh, discount is uh, probably going to be delayed, if not <laughs> underwater, who knows, with this hurricane. I, I guess their warehouses are in Florida or something. Oh, but the, uh, the uh, Elite Trainer before the Dorito... D-I-R-E-T-O It's the E-T-O It's the Doretto That's probably what they want you to say Has uh, Was beige Like a grayish beige And I'll never <laughs> One of my um, Pride and joys of my trolling comments On either the YouTube video Or something, whatever I posted my comment on it Is like, hey that's a great trainer But I'd really like to ride something that looks less like a a kidney dialysis machine <laughs> should have made it black or red or something but not beige gray it looks like it should be monitoring your um, your protein levels or something it looks like medical equipment uh, so this one's black I'm super excited about that but the bike workout this, this may be your workout of the week if you want an interesting bike workout do this 10 minutes warm up uh, before you even warm up uh, stretch out and make sure to get your knees up real high so you can get an arrow position and all your intervals should be in arrow position and uh, 10 minutes warm up easy who cares what position bike position you sit in but about seven or eight minutes in you need to be uh, getting starting to get in and around arrow position a little bit there goes a red-tailed hawk flying across the uh, the roadway there That was a silent coffee sip. And by that time you hit 10 minutes, at the 10 minute mark, do three minutes um, in a, in a uh, like a eight or nine out of 10 effort. Typically um, a lower gear. And then seven minutes recovery. Yeah. And then uh, that gets you to 20 minutes. And then you're increasing the interval length by one minute each time. So then four minutes at an eight or nine out of 10 effort. And then six minutes recovery. And then five minutes at eight out of 10, nine out of 10. Just medium hard, pretty hard. And then recovery for five minutes. 
and then six minutes medium hard and four minutes recovery and then seven minutes your last one is seven minutes long of medium hard and uh, then three minutes recovery just chilling out uh, letting the legs uh, spin out a little bit because you're done for the hour and I call that stairway to heaven uh, increasing interval length um, you'll notice that your power increases as you do them, even though it feels the same. Um, as your body comes online more and more, it starts, um, you start putting out more power. It's really cool. Uh, my intervals, I mean, my first just three minutes, I only averaged like 240 watts or something like that. Then the next one was like 250, even though it was a minute longer, you know. Each one a minute longer, 250, and then 260, and then 270, 275, or something like that, which was uh, really nice. Uh, and, uh, oh, you know that you've, this is a really, this is a really cool tip. You know that you've done an interval right if immediately after the interval you feel like you need to this is, this is like swimming running all that you feel like you need to catch your breath like stop and either if you're on the bike like very gently spin um, or if you're running like maybe walk and if you're swimming like sit at the wall or something like that you feel like you need to catch your breath for like 20 30 seconds before you start going again right that's how you know that you've gone hard enough but not more than that not catch your breath for like five minutes <laughs> but catch your breath just a little bit. That's how you know that you uh, did your interval right. Isn't that cool? It's a, a really handy tip. And knowing that you're going to uh, stop and um, take a break for 15 to 30 seconds and kind of catch your breath and go easy, maybe even up to a minute. Knowing that you've got that coming is uh, gives you mental permission to actually go a little bit harder on your interval that little harder bit that makes the interval uh, actually work, makes it worth it. And I think that's it. Uh, we had a little bit of a cool front come through last night. First time since we've lived in the house, the new place, that we've been able to open, I've, I've been able to open the window on the side of the training room to um, let the uh, cooler air come in. It's only like 65 degrees, but it's cooler than inside. And that, you could feel that nice cool airflow come in. It was really nice. Immediately, the cat goes over. I mean, I had the window open for two seconds. The cat comes running over. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Goes and checks it out. All right, that's it. Into W to the ERK. Talk to y'all later. Out, bang. All right, leaving the pool, had a um, really good swim. Not a breakthrough swim, but getting back to where I was before I took a little bit of a swim break and did um, 4,500 yards in one hour and nine seconds, which is a, um, a 120 pace, one minute and 20 seconds per 100 yard pace. So I'm really, really happy with that, especially because I was uh, working on just breathing and relaxing and trying not to swim hard and reproving to myself my theory 
that um, actually there's a sweet spot for kicking and it's a lot lower than what you would think uh, to swim fast. You don't need to kick as much. I don't need to kick as much. Kind of depends on the person, but uh, just kind of holding back on the on the kicking a little bit. And on the way to the pool, I had half a pad of butter and the tablespoon of maple syrup. So you got your fat and your sugar, the fat to slow the sugar down. And I felt even added in my green tea and felt uh, really good the whole way. Never ran out of energy and actually finished strong. So I'd like to recommend that to people. <clears throat> A little bit of ashwagandha in the uh, tea to uh, make me feel chill so I don't try too hard on the swim because if you uh, try too hard, then you end up burning extra oxygen and you're not as efficient. And swimming is an efficiency game. And you can't win. <laughs> you can try really hard and go zero miles per hour, go nowhere and drown. So it's actually all about uh, being um, uh, relaxed and finding how to swim the fastest without trying very hard. And, and you're like, well, how am I gonna get a workout? Well, do that for an hour and then it starts to burn a little bit. <sighs> Even though you're not trying all that hard, your muscles do get tired and then your muscles get stronger next time. Lactic acid, the tear, the tear down of your muscles signals your body to build a little bit stronger. Um, I'm doing something uh, pretty cool is, hey, are you frustrated on your way into work every day with all the, uh, with all the uh, traffic and stoplights you have to stop at? Here's an idea. Um, have a queue of little items you can do while you're stuck at the stoplight and then now all of a sudden your stoplights are productive and it changes your viewpoint on uh, what what uh, you're not no longer are you stopped and going dang it you're like oh good a stop sign I mean a stoplight because you, you don't want a stop sign but, oh good, a stop light. Now uh, I have 30, 40 seconds to uh, do this or do that or do the other. So I've got a little queue of things in my car leaving the pool. Um, I walk out to the car wearing flip-flops and what else do I do? Well, anyway, I uh, stop at a stoplight. I'll put at one stoplight, I'll put on my socks. <laughs> at another stoplight, I'll put on my shoes. And I have them, you know, ready to go in the car. Oh, the other thing is floss. At another stoplight, I'll floss. And that's about right. I get about three stoplights that I have to stop at at work uh, when I get off the freeway. And that allows me to leave a little bit earlier from the, um, from the pool and you know, like a, a minute earlier, because I don't have to do those things. I do them in the car, and then the stoplights are no longer burdens. They're actually um, opportunities to get the other the other stuff done. I still need to get done, but the key is having them these items right next to you in the car, and that way you can just reach over and grab them. And I need to put on my my uh, Aggie ring in uh, Texas, Texas A and M the college I went to, 
is like the only school that I know of, um, off for sure. Now, I'm sure there's a few others, and y'all can uh, email me or message me and tell me uh, what they are. But it is big at Texas A&M to get your school ring and then to wear it the rest of your life. And I'm not talking like it's like your high school ring or something like that. It's a huge networking thing. Uh, we were in Ohio and somebody said they saw my Aggie ring and knew I was an Aggie. And uh, therefore, let's uh, play some the Aggie war hymn and everything before the triathlon race starts. And, you know, like, but if you're searching for jobs, it's actually really productive. And I know if you didn't go to A&M, you would say that that sounds really high schoolish, but, and I agree with you, <laughs> but this is the one school that I know of where it actually is done and it works and the Aggie network uh, for finding help, for finding friends, helping others is really does work. And it's incredible for networking for jobs and, and uh, contracts and work because um, A&M, Texas A&M, generates 50 to 60 the student body is 50 to 60 thousand thousand students large and that's your tribe and when your tribe is that big and you signal each other that you're in that tribe then opportunities abound it's really great anyway I don't wear it while I swim because it, it might uh, slip off and then I'll lose it. Uh, and there's all kinds of stories about Aggies that lost their ring in World War II and they went back and found it later. <laughs> it's crazy, crazy, crazy. After being held hostage uh, or captive, uh, prisoner of war, um, in caves. Anyway, let's see. There's one about Corregidor if you want to look it up. And, oh, I finished swimming and this guy next to me, he's, he's uh, looked like he was about... 50 and he started complimenting me on my swim and I said oh well you just uh, he's like how fast how far and how fast and, and I was like this and that and the other and he said oh my god and I said yeah well you just do this thing with this beep and you keep up the timer and all of a sudden you'll start improving it turns the it turns the swimming pool into a wind tunnel it's your swim tunnel testing and you get faster and faster and faster and he's like after a while, he finally goes, how old are you? And I said, uh, 44. And he goes, oh my God, I thought you were like 28 or 30 based on your physique, your build, and how fast you were swimming and stuff. And I said, oh, thanks, that's really cool. But what I want to share with everybody else is that's what triathlon can do for you. It, if you stay out of the sun, because boy, you can get way too much sun doing triathlon and look like a catcher's mitt. If you stay out of the sun, triathlon can um, keep you from aging. Uh, it'll age you appropriately, which your body's supposed to age, which means strong and fit until you're, you know, 80 or more able to do stuff. My great granddad was known for being so strong he could do one-legged squats until um, he was in his 70s or something like that. That's <laughs> crazy. Uh, but. Anyway, there was something else. The green tea. I got some Zen topics I want to talk about. The not always so is really cool, which is another version of it depends. Allows you to it. It's proof and it's realization that going through life thinking things are always have to be one way, are always have to be, always have to be one way, 
and that the solution is exactly this uh, leads to misery and suffering because you're wrong a lot of the times and that life is actually a sliding scale of this this way is the answer in this situation but in this situation this way is the answer um, and it can go there's a lot of things in life like that and triathlon training the right way to train is to train what your body needs the most right so if you're doing lots of intervals for a while and you kind of top out well you don't need any more intervals for a while right so intervals are no longer the right way to train were they the right way to train yes absolutely are they the right way to train right now probably not so the right way to train now is is um long long and slow to build that back up and kind of alternate back and forth and i found that happiness is knowing the um having having a nice set of tools in your toolbox and then based on how you feel and what's what you've been doing lately and because you've been paying attention kind of where you're failing in this one little area oh we got a squirrel do not run across the street bro they run across the street like they just want to commit suicide sometimes the uh you're like okay i'm kind of tired i've been doing intervals lately um you know what i'm gonna do uh very long and easy and then another toolbox is to have a route that's long and easy that's not too difficult right so like um a flatter route for your run or your bike you know and so it's appropriate response and there's appropriate response in life and dealing with a coworker, and dealing with a somebody in traffic and there's appropriate response uh in triathlon training but you need to know what your possible responses are and then you can pick an appropriate one how about that cool all right out bang All right, all right, all right. I think this might be the last entry to the Zendry training log for this episode. And we're in the Zendry Mobile Studios. Had a nice run this morning. Gonna go over some workout tips and some other little thing of Zen, sort of. It's all Zen. Zen is everything. Zen is nothing. The uh, big deal was last week, towards the end of last week maybe, I started doing more intervals on the bike. I was just really enjoying doing it and was doing sweet spot. That's where you go kind of medium hard for, I was doing like, I think I may have described it, three minutes, four minutes, and five minutes. Well, then I noticed um, this weekend when I went for my bike ride and my uh, runs, which I, I swim during the week on weekdays and then uh, tend to go long on the weekends, just bike and run, because the pool is a little bit out of the way. I can bike and run right out of my door. The I noticed that I felt really flat, not as much energy, and then the reason that we wear heart rate monitors is for uh, this exact purpose. I um was riding along and noticing that I just could not get my heart rate up. I mean, I could if I really tried, but it was ridiculously difficult. And so what was normally me pedaling along at a one, 
130 heart rate was, I'm like at 116. And I'm still going kind of fast, you know, because once you get, a bike's really efficient. So it's a little difficult to tell by the speed. Um, and that's why we use power meters and uh, heart rate straps is because speed is deceiving because there's a lot that can influence your speed and wind and temperature and tire pressure and traffic and stuff. So I noticed my heart rate was lower and my power was lower and you know I tried carving up and eating a, a little, few more carbs and stuff but I also noticed that during my runs that my legs were wobbly and um, sore of course um, but just unstable and I just didn't have any uh, push to my runs and I'm pretty sure that it goes down to intervals on the bike which made me want to mention that the other, the other thing I was doing was I had a little bit extra time and was finding more time which is a goal in triathlon it's constantly time searching uh, that I was getting in a little bit more volume and that was my goal was to get in a little bit more volume this week and so that brings you to the rule to remember which I had forgotten and it's why people uh, do podcasts and coach and teach is to remind ourselves of what we are already already know is that um, when you're increasing volume let's say you're gonna extend your run from six miles to seven miles you're going to extend your bike by 30 minutes your long bike ride you're gonna bike one more time this week when you increase volume um, not only if anything keep intensity the same but actually strongly consider keeping intensity lower and over a week or two you'll catch back up to the same intensity but if you're stretching your your capabilities a little bit then um, hold back and um, just go a little bit easier because it wore me out and then that's how you get overtrained is so I've learned to um, not push it. I go, oh well, I guess I'm uh, my heart rate's lower, my power's lower, um, something's off. So I'm going to uh, I'm just gonna go easier, right? Now back uh, ten years ago, even maybe up to seven years ago, probably I would have gone harder, right? And I bet you would have too that's our natural tendency is I'm not going as fast as I usually do so I need to try harder but the whole problem is is that you're tired and trying harder <laughs> is actually you're dipping into uh, hormonal reserves you're borrowing against the bank that the interest is crazy high and you're gonna need even more uh, recovery time Right, and then it creates this downward spiral. Oh, I'm driving down this. I got like one mile of quiet country road right here. I just love it. It's almost. It's not even two lanes. It's like one and a half lane wide. Uh, interviewing a Diane made me uh, think I need to describe my surroundings a little bit more for the podcast. I used to do that way more. I love it. I love doing it. Uh, sun's on. The sun's rising. It's blinding me a little bit. 
It's real pretty. Quiet roads, uh, calm traffic, actually. If you widen a road and improve a road, a lot of times traffic gets worse because people drive faster down it and jam up the road. A little bit of traffic study for you. Uh, so I slowed down on my uh, bike ride and you, just, you have to let go of the ego and go, well, I guess um, this you know, ride isn't gonna be what I thought it was. And then also um, cut back a little bit so I, I shortened up my ride just a little bit and then I didn't run right after my ride I uh, took a nap <laughs> I think I took two naps took a nap ate some lunch did stuff around the house uh, coaching and stuff and then went and took another nap to uh, really catch up and then ran later that evening to get in my uh, my run for the day But back to um, running, I guess. Uh, I'm really happy on the on the uh, plantar fasciitis front, but it's not just that. But I've noticed, um, you know, you'd think I run this loop. It's a just over a two mile loop. It's like 2.1, 2.2 miles. But who's counting? And. You would think running the same loop over and over and over again, three times, you know, for a run, would get old. But there's something um, really interesting that happens. Is I use the first loop when I'm when I'm being smart, when I know what I'm doing. I use the first loop to uh, to go really really slow. I just jog the first loop. And that's nice, because that's like a metric. That'd be like swimming, saying, oh, the first, uh, it's a warm-up. 500 yards, warm-up, just swim easy, you know? Doesn't even really count. So I use the first loop to uh, just jog, jog as easy as I can. And that ends up being so smart when I think to do it, <laughs> when I can control my ego. And then the, uh, the next two loops, I you know, are just jog jogging, just running, and of course you end up going faster and faster as your body warms up and you get moving with less effort. It's really interesting. And then about two thirds of this loop is through the woods, and I just love it. I absolutely love it. And I run with that waist light. I got my Apple AirPods, so I'm listening to podcasts or to music, and I've got this waist clip light. And it's, uh, you know, lighting up the trail in front of me if I want to. It was moonlight last night or, you know, this morning. So uh, not a full moon, but about half a moon. And it's just so pretty. So I turn it on or off, kind of depending on how I want it to be. And uh, the weather, the weather is like chilled out. You know, it's a lot cooler, which is nice. Hold on, I've got merging traffic coming up here. I haven't decided if I'm actually on the phone or not. <laughs> I'm recording on a phone, but I'm not actually on the phone. But then anyway, I... Uh, the other thing that happens 
is if I run in the evening or run in the morning like this, I, I either, it goes from, if it's in the evening, it goes from daylight to dark. And if it's in the morning, it goes from dark to daylight. And it makes the loops different. And what's cool is not only do I compare one loop to the next, you know, the little hills, I'm like, oh, this one's easier this time around. And it's so nice that you can actually compare uh, one to the next. And you can see, you know, how you're doing and how you're progressing. It's kind of fun and it makes it go by faster. But then each loop is slightly different. Like uh, one loop is, this morning, one loop was in the complete dark. The second loop was a little bit of twilight starting to come up. Could see a little bit better and more cars as people are getting up uh, because it parallels some roads. You're through the woods, but there's a little strip and then quiet roads and a busy road. And then the, um, the last loop, sun's coming up full. You can see 100% sunrise and it's just beautiful, you know. And even though I'm doing the exact same loop, like uh, three times, it's really weird. I guess my point is, is uh, don't throw away a, uh, a looping course thinking that it would be boring. Try it. You might actually uh, like it. And to wrap things up with a bow, with loops, is I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it, but it doesn't really matter. I listen to a personal productivity and creativity podcast and leadership podcast and a whole bunch of those and it's a lot of just talking and talking and talking and you could go through an entire episode but then you hit one gym and it's really really worth it sometimes several episodes um, but then you find yourself rewinding like what did this guy say or what did this girl say rewind rewind hear it again hear it again so I heard one last night that had me thinking still about it this morning. I'm at a red light. Had me still thinking about it this morning. And it was this guy saying that he simplified his life um, and found a better life for himself. He was like uh, doing really well, but living in New York City, it's really crowded and really busy and stuff. And he said he realized that, he just kind of said this offhandedly. This wasn't like his big point, but uh, he had too many open loops and so he was doing too much and he knew he was doing too much because he had too many open loops and what that means is like unfinished things that you start and I thought that was so fascinating because that is what causes stress in life is having open loops um, it's, it's like walking around with your pants down <laughs> or your wallet hanging out of your back pants or a bad part of town you never know what's going to happen You're very, you feel very exposed when you have an open loop and I thought this is something really cool to try is make a point out of trying to go through the day closing loops because I feel like I'm in the same situation uh, doing too much um, but I leave a lot of loops open on purpose because I'm not really sure what the exact closer should be but then I think that actually causes more stress than what's needed it's kind of like running your first loop uh, too fast uh, it causes more stress than what's needed. If you just relax and run slower for your warm-up, uh, you know, that's better overall. So 
the same thing applies to like closing loops. So if you just go throughout your day closing loops, uh, that that makes you like a happier, healthier person. So I'm going to try that and see if uh, this is our moment of Zen kind of stuff, and see if. Uh, just making a point, like if that's your number one habit, is to close loops. And you're like, well, what if you close all the loops? No, that'll never happen. There's always new loops. Always. A coworker of mine, what, she realized yesterday morning that she was paying, uh, she was paying bills with a checkbook from a two-year-old checking account. That she, It looked almost exactly the same, and she didn't even notice. So now she's got to go and close all these loops with these uh, bad checks that she's written. She's written like three or four bad checks to pay like the cable bill and all this stuff. And she had no idea. So like open loops present themselves constantly. There's no worry about that. But happiness is reducing stress. Stress is caused by open loops. Go, go about your life closing loops. Casually, just close this loop, close this loop, close this loop, and then that stills the water. Like the mind and the body, the emotions is easily represented by a lake. And meditation and all that good stuff is supposed to be just stopping and pausing and let, when you let, when a water, a body of water has um, a lot of motion in it, a lot of wave action, you can't see through it, right? It's like white caps and little waves and stuff. But if you calm things down and let the water come still, usually, if it's nice water, you can see through the water, you can see clear, you can see like what's at the bottom, and it's, it's beautiful, you know? So you can have a whole lot more clarity in life, like what's your goal and what, where you are and what you're doing and your surroundings if you let the water still. So closing these loops uh, stills the water so that you have more margin that's the guy who's actually writing, he's writing a book about margins and talks about margins a lot. You create a little bit more margin in your life between things. And then you can um, see, uh, you're, you're more, you're de-stressed. You can have more clarity in what you're doing and why you're doing, if what you're doing is important to you, right? You can see to the bottom. And also see that you don't drag bottom with, with the keel of your boat and run into a reef or something. But anyway, that was uh, my, my little moment of Zen. So how do I do this? Um, I use Todoist, and I can create a recurring task in Todoist. That every, every day that I do it, it pops up again tomorrow if I check it off. And it's good. It's web-based, phone-based. It's all connected, so I can do it from anywhere. And I'll create a... Um, uh, no, I've already created it. I haven't set it to repeat yet, but I already created it. I wrote it down while I was running which is a good way to fall and break your arm, by the way, uh, in my phone. I uh, wrote down, happiness is closing loops. And uh, when I go into work here in a second, I'll make it a repeating task. And just like a Cohen in Zen, where you work on something until you figure it out, uh, I can repeat it until I'm done with it, which is nice. Until like I feel like I've got it and I've implemented it into my life. And then I can move on to the next one. Isn't that cool? And then I keep a collection of these in a subcategory, a project called Zen, Zen Thoughts. Uh, I forgot exactly what it's called, but it's Zen something. And I can review them every once in a while, and it's nice. Over the years, I've collected a bunch of them. It's pretty cool. All right. I think that might be it for the train log. And anyway, I need to go into W to the ERK. Out. Cool. So that was the train log. <laughs>
a couple other things have happened. I need to get this out here real quick because we are leaving in like an hour to go to Galveston, if it's still there, if it hasn't flooded or washed away uh, from the hurricanes. But we're going to Galveston. Kai has a race, and we need to go get to his packet pickup. They are at the, uh, Emily and Kai are at the Aggie football game. They got to come home, got to load up everything, and then go. I don't know if we're going to make it. <laughs> so if we don't make it, I guess maybe I'll surf or something like that. But uh, a couple of updates on the um, on things that I talked about from the beginning of the show. A couple more rides on the uh, Elite Dorito uh, Trainer. It does everything it says it's, it's supposed to do. I'm impressed. I'm really, really impressed. And I just rode an hour and a half plus on Zwift, and I was going to quit. I just wasn't feeling right. So I was going to quit on Zwift, and um, a bike pack went the other way. You're like, a bike pack in a video game? Yes, a giant bike bike pack. And then on top of that was a giant backpack of women, I noticed, all going the other way. They all had ponytails. You can pick your characters and set them up to look more like you. And, um, man, they were tough to catch up with. And then... Let's see. I got a Garmin 520. I've got a Garmin 510. Had it forever. And that's the one with the touchscreen. Touchscreen actually ends up being a bad idea in triathlon because your wrists, if you mount your bike computer in between your hands, well, then your wrists are always touching it. And it's always uh, got junk going on. The 520 is a little bit more advanced. And it does one thing that the 510 doesn't do is it can actually control your trainer. You can press some of the buttons on the 520 and it will increase or decrease the resistance on your trainer. I've been eyeballing it for a while, and I wanted that was the uh, final straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, okay, I guess I'll go ahead and get it. And I've noticed a little productivity tri- tip. A lot of times you don't want to do a task because it's, I don't know, it just doesn't seem worth it, <laughs> I guess. But if you double up tasks then um, go do this and do that right together, and they're kind of related, and you do them kind of at the same time, or they make sense to do right after another. I've noticed that I'll actually get those done um, because then it seems more like a challenge or something, I guess. I don't know. But um, the other thing, the perfect storm, was that Emily's getting more into triathlon training uh, with her half Ironman. She's very difficult to coach. Uh <laughs> as any spouse might be and uh i uh i wanted to have her trained by well if, if i got the new bike computer if i got the 520 i could give her my 510 and um i do a lot of longer distance stuff and she's doing shorter stuff so my older stuff works better for, even though the battery life is shortened a little bit because i've used it so much um it's still great for her so i gave up my 510 and uh, Kai and I together mounted it on her handlebars of her bike. Um, and, uh, you know, so she could think of us is what we told her when she's out riding. And so now Emily finally has a real bike computer. Oh, my God. After all this time. And she got on the trainer and she was um, going to ride an hour last night. And I said... 180 minus your age, so you're getting into the high one, 130s, because she's 42, 43, and then um, 
don't go over that. And in fact, try to stay five, ten points below that, maybe more like five. And ride the bike, watch your heart rate. And then, of course, it's going to record distance. We put a Wahoo um, speed sensor on our wheel. Kai had one that he doesn't really use. So we took that off his bike and put it on her. He's always riding outside. So we put uh, that on her rear, rear wheel. So she's pedaling along. So now she's getting distance and speed and heart rate all on a little screen uh, that's easy to read and easy to use right in front of her. And uh, the last thing we've got to do is uh, put the Garmin Connect app on her phone and then pair that bike computer with her phone. And then I think Garmin Connect of hers is already trained, uh, paired with uh, Training Peaks. If not, we need to do that. So anyway, when she finishes the ride, well, she, <laughs> she said... Uh, I, did, I finished the ride, and I stopped everything, and then I went over to Training Peaks, and it wasn't there. <laughs> She's got so many expectations already. And I said, yeah, we've got to hook it up to uh, your phone so that when it finishes riding, when it saves, it uploads automatically to your phone, and your phone to Garmin, and then Garmin, Garmin's website, Garmin Connect, and then Garmin Connect, sync it up over to Training Peaks. It's amazing all these stupid uh, hoops we have to jump through. But some apps are better than others, and they're, at least they're talk, the apps are talking to each other usually, so we can get um, things to work. But anyway, I'd check on her on the bike, and she would be uh, pedaling along, and she's watching, uh, uh, what is it, The Living Dead. And uh, she's, is it called The Night? The Night of the Living Dead is a movie. Um, but anyway, The Living Dead, you know, TV series on Netflix and stuff. So she's watching that and then just kind of watching her heart rate, which is right in front of her on her bike. And then, uh, yeah, so that's really cool. And guess what? She now said that she felt a whole lot better, that she knew that what she was doing was right. So Emily is now training by heart rate, which she's actually kind of done before. She reminded me like a long time ago. But... Um, the big bike computer screen in front of her makes a huge difference. So y'all can do that too. It's easy to do. And then it lets you know if you're uh, going too hard or too easy. All right. So then that was last night. But today when I was on the trainer and riding on Zwift and stuff, at the same time on the TV, I had Zwift on the computer, but oh, above and beyond the computer on the wall on a TV, I had that Ironman 70.3 Chattanooga women's race still running. And there was a really interesting comment. So it was, this race was on, on a Saturday. The men's race was on a Sunday. So it's all women, pro field and then age group women. And sitting there watching it, and, and uh, it's like a quarter away through the bike. Right after um, Holly Lawrence had to drop out, they... Somebody said, one of the commentators said, you know what's really interesting is because this is a single gender, and they really what they're talking about, it's a women's race, we're getting to see more of the female pros, of course it's all females all that day, but then any other time at an Ironman, uh, any kind of pro race being covered, and the reason why is... 
the dynamic of a mixed gender race is, and what happens is the guys get out in front, right? Because guys are um, a little bit faster on average, a little bit faster on the swim, and then majorly on average, a lot faster on the, not a lot faster, but somewhat faster on the bike. And um, so when all the media vehicles go out and it's safer towards the front, it's more sparse towards the front, and of course it's more interesting at the front, you've got more um, more reason to cover at the very front. Um, the If it's a mixed gender race, well, there's got, they're covering the guys at the front, and that's what's really interesting. So to go back and find the women however many minutes back mixed in with the other guys is both um they're a little bit harder to find because everybody kind of looks the same on or and we look a little bit different but we look a lot of same same from a distance and uh, and all of our lycra and bike helmets and sunglasses and just bent over hammering sometimes it's hard to tell who's who and then it's definitely definitely hard to tell who's who and then the um, the vehicles uh, intermingling in with the bike traffic and then eventually onto the run traffic is really difficult. So they tend to kind of stay towards the front where it's easier to do the coverage or it's sparser. And in a mixed gender race, that's like it's the guys. So women in a mixed gender race don't get anywhere near as much coverage. And in this race... It was awesome. It was really cool. Um, you're watching uh, Wartel, uh, Hella Fredrickson, and uh, uh, Chura. What's her name? Uh, and, but anyway, um, and then of course Danielle Reef, and then Holly Lawrence, and like all these women. Just and the 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 first part of the bike ride has got just a ton of climbing in it. So it's like this carnage of them passing each other and people blowing up and, and um, Lauren Brandon, you know, being off at the front at first. And it's really, really cool. So um, it was nice to see a race where uh, women are getting as much coverage as the guys. It's really neat. So I hope they stick with this. I think they said something like they're going to do it at South Africa or not. But anyway. All right. I need to get off the mic. And uh, we need to get going. So let's do our donations and our mention of uh, how to support the show. Uh, One way you can help support the show, there's two ways. But the first one is Hornet Juice. You want to get get yourself ah, some uh, amino acid, which is protein powder, amino acid mix into your fuel. And that's what I should have done today to have more energy on the bike. I didn't put Hornet Juice in my stuff. Duh. Hornet Juice uh, turns on your diesel power and it gives you a really nice uh boost but not like jitters it's not like that it's just like diesel just wham feels really good and for your long workouts especially uh it gives you that extra boost feels like about another 20 (laughs) percent it's really amazing because it turns on fat burning it's amino acid mix that's used in uh japanese killer hornet fuel saliva they, they're the highest power to weight ratio animal in the world, and they can fly the furthest on the least amount of 
fuel, and it's because they're metabolizing body fat, and they do it with this amino acid mix in their saliva. And it's been replicated and put into a packet, and people around the world use it, and it really does work. It's really amazing stuff, and you can get some right through Zentri. So you go to zentriathlon.com on the left-hand side. There's, oh, it's on the right-hand side. There's a link to Hornet juice. It's kind of like yellow and purple. And what's neat, you get a 10-pack or a 20-pack of it, and then it comes from New Zealand. It does take about 10 days, maybe 11, 12 days, depending on uh, when I can get it done in my email, because I get your email that you've ordered it, and then I got to turn around and tell them to send it, right? And now I've got your email address, you've got my email address, and uh, nine times out of ten, I send I send a uh, thank you and say thanks a lot, man. And then you got an email from me, and we can chat if you want. And then you get a package from New Zealand. How about that? It's really really cool. And then another way to support the show is through donations. Uh, just straight up, you don't want to mess with Hornet. Man, you've got your fat burning down. You've got your fueling down. But you do love listening to the podcast. I get emails all the time from people that say thank you. Uh, tweets from people that say thank you uh, because I help make the hours go by. I am one of you, so I know what it's like <laughs> to work out for three hours straight and you need some entertainment. And that's why I try to be, I try to put on a little bit of personality and try to be a little bit entertaining so that you laugh and think and wonder and ponder and uh, get happy, get angry, you know, have your emotions and stuff to make the time go by faster. Like, look over there. Look over there to your left. See that? No, there was nothing there. See, I'm messing with you. <laughs> but see, that's going to keep you entertained for at least another five minutes. <laughs> You're like, God dang it, Brett. But anyway, you can uh, support Zentri on the left-hand side by scrolling down. There's some PayPal links. You can do a one-time donation, recurring donation, whatever you want. And... And uh, we've got, uh, I know, because I read your name on the show, if you donated, and if you donate to the show, you want to send me an email question about something, I'd be happy to answer. It makes me feel smart whenever I get to answer questions. Um, there's a Reddit uh, thread uh, called Trathlon that actually I've been hanging around on lately and answering questions on there, too. Those, those guys on the Reddit thread, I'm, a lot of them are pure beginners, though. And they just need to be told to go out and exercise, in my opinion, and quit th overthinking things. Just go out there and get some experience. So let's see. That's how you can support the show. And when you do, I get uh, your name. And we got three right here. We got Houston Marsh, Rick Foster, and Michael Rodagna sent in donations for the show. I feel like there was more, and I'm missing them. Usually a lot more than that. Have I put them somewhere? Let's read some ones from the last time around anyway to make it seem better because I feel like I've, I've, uh, I feel like I'm missing a bunch. Uh, M. Webb, Tyler Moyer, Spars Fetzes, Curtis Fawson, Dwayne Moyer, Joseph Deber, and uh, this email saying, uh, I hope you're safe and dry in the Houston area. Um, yeah, I think that's it. My parents uh, barely survived that hurricane. The water came up to their mailbox. That was uh, Harvey, <laughs> and I almost had to get floated out of their neighborhood, which is pretty crazy, and I think that's it. All right, that wraps up the show. Next episode, I'm going to do 
detailed information on how to use a smart trainer and also how to use, let's see, probably uh, Trainer Road and probably um, also how to make your own workouts and what to do on the smart trainer to make it worth your time, how to set up your bike. Let's do that because I've been training indoors on a dumb trainer forever, and I've got a setup. That works. It's really, really great. And I guess we'll do that next episode, okay? All right. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out. Hey, how would you like to become an endurance monster? Get coached for your next big endurance event. By yours truly, Coach Brett from Zentri. For only $1.99 a month, I build you a completely custom triathlon training plan using the industry's gold standard training platform. With Training Peaks, you can easily go online, see what your workouts are, then upload your results seamlessly that very same day. Then I build your next training block based on how you've been doing. I review every single workout and provide comments on what I'm seeing that you've done great and where we need to improve. If you want to get faster, better, stronger, and be able to go longer, don't do it alone. Reach out to me and we can work together with my depth of experience and get you to the finish line as fast as possible. Send me an email, texafornia at gmail.com. That's T-E-X-A-F-O-R-N-I-A, texafornia at gmail.com and put coaching in the subject line. See you at the start line.